Welcome to Kaiju, <laughs> the Kaiju Network, where we have, have a healthy obsession with Kaiju. Happy Christmas, Hanukkah, Wanza, and Happy New Year as well. This is why we should not do it live. We could have edited that out. I am your co-host, Kent, and with me is your other co-host. Jason, how's it going, everyone? And you screwed up at the very beginning. <laughs> this is why we got to quit doing these shows live. By the way, howdy-do, uh, MechaGoji75. Thank you for joining us. Um, so, yeah, this is our year-end episode. This is the first time in a couple of years we have done one because Jason yep. got ill this time a year ago. So we had to cancel last year's show. And so for anyone who is not familiar with some of our year-end shows, these typically tend to be the longest shows of the year. And a lot of it is because we just kind of do things like year in review. We kind of go back and revisit certain movies and stuff that may have come out. And it's just kind of a smorgasbord of kaiju discussion. Yeah. And so uh, before we continue, as far as what did I get for Christmas, Michael Goji, um, I ended up uh, asking for donations to a handful of uh, charities that I'm a big fan of. So my wife ended up donating uh, some money to those charities, and I ended up getting uh, some of my son's Halloween candy that he gifted to me. (laughs) And um, (laughs) he did do that. (laughs) And um, I also – my daughter gifted me one of her stuffed pandas, and then I also ended up uh, getting like two or three gift cards to uh, some local bookshops and then one or two, no, two gift cards to Amazon. So that's what I got. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I know I was supposed to go with, uh, over to my parents. They, they just live not far uh, from me over here, but fortunately they got uh, sick. And so, so I just stuck around here. So I didn't really get anything for Christmas, but uh, you can probably say, Maybe before beforehand, I did get me a a, a, a hallway um, entryway tree, uh, entryway hall tree. You can say the uh, say that. And it's just pretty pretty much. It's a bench with a couple of rows where you can put in your shoes and boots, and then there's some racks there where you can hang up your coats, and then a couple of shelves where you can uh, put some of your other decor on there and stuff. But uh, but yeah, there really didn't get <laughs> much of anything. So um, I mean, yeah. kind of fine with that, anyways. So yeah, you're defo real Godzilla there, Mechagoji. I oh. Or actually, I did uh, get myself uh, the new, uh, the latest uh, Smash Bros. game on uh, the Switch. So it's, it's been maybe a couple of years. <laughs> I've had years that coming, for a while. So. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I can get my uh, online Nintendo subscription again and we can finally do some gaming again. Yeah, you should be able to because I just uh, resubscribed to uh, uh, Nintendo Online here just recently. So I uh, downloaded some of those uh, racetracks for Mario Kart. So I uh, went through all of those uh, so far. And then with uh, Smash Bros, I did manage to go through that uh, adventure mode to basically unlock all the characters and everything. The only thing now I need to do is uh, buy a couple of those uh, ultimate fight passes to unlock some of the other characters. 
Yeah, I have the Smash Brothers game, but I've never played it. So really? <laughs> I have two young kids, and for the last four months as well, since they've been both in school full-time, I've been trying to learn Japanese and do artwork, and that's been hit and miss. But Well, I, I would have at least thought that you probably managed to maybe sneak in some time to play it. I have had some moments, but I, with my free time, uh, I've usually either um, done some reading, uh, watched movies, because typically in September and October, I watch a bunch of classic um, horror and sci-fi, mil- <laughs> sci-fi movies to celebrate uh, Halloween, and um, – and then I've done like some college football, like the old NCAA 14 on my 360. But your defo reel, uh, Godzilla, there, Mega Goji, uh, th- those defo reels are pretty cool. Um, I've got. I'll make sure. Well, I, I know. Over I know you water, did. But... I know you did review that uh, a couple of yeah. years ago. But I think you mentioned Eight that. One. I think you mentioned in your review that you weren't quite. The sculpt itself is great. It's the paint job because at least with that one in particular, um, when you looked at the um, advertisements uh, for it, the paint job was more thorough and I don't want to say vibrant because it makes it seem like it's a huge night and day difference because it wasn't, Mm -hmm. but it was maybe more thorough. Uh, This one, I I mean, I, I still like it. I mean, I have it obviously on display there. Like I have my fiber optic tree there and I kick off a couple other toys, yeah. but I always keep that one. So, I mean, obviously I like, plus it's one of my favorite Godzilla incarnations as well, but um, I mean, and, it's, I still I, like it, but I'm disappointed by the paint job. Yeah. And then uh, I think when those came out a few years ago, I thought that they were going to be pretty decent size. I thought the they were too, they, like that size. The way that they look too, until you show me a picture of his, like, boy, I was... I know, yeah. A, bit, a little bit disappointed with how big or how small those were. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, uh, we got a huge show. Uh, for anyone who is watching this via YouTube, either live or later, or ends up listening to the audio version of this, this is going to be long. So if you need to leave and do other things, feel free to do so. We will be here when you get back. Not literally, but metaphorically in yeah. the recorded yeah, and form. <laughs> like you don't have to watch this live right now. You can always watch it wherever you uh, watch videos and everything. So as far yeah, as housekeeping. Uh, housekeeping here, um, of course, like uh, Kent said, uh, we're on the uh, social uh, video platforms such as YouTube, Twitch, Rumble, Facebook Live, and as well as Odyssey. You can also find us everywhere at our uh, Linktree uh, URL uh, seen on your screen there, Linktree uh, forward slash Daikaiju Network. And we're also on uh, audio platforms. So you can listen to audio versions of all of our episodes over at uh Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, as well as TuneIn. And uh, you can also find both video and audio versions of our uh, episodes over at DaikaijuNetwork.com. All right. So what we're going to tackle first here on this episode is a standard topic that we usually hit, which is the year in review. So, Jason, do you kind of want to start us off with sort of the year in review? Yeah, so um, 
basically, I think maybe the elephant in the room for this particular topic is that uh, finally we were able to uh, go to GFest uh, this year for the first time in was it uh, a couple of years? Because uh, obviously with 2020 canceled for obvious reasons, and then uh, 2021. They were originally going to do it, but they announced that they weren't going to do it early in uh, 2021, I think around January. So this year, uh, third time's the charm. So finally able to have the event go ahead. And then both uh, Ken and I went to that in July in a very new uh, venue for the very first time besides uh, Crown Plaza, which is um, maybe about a quarter of a mile uh, away from uh, Crown Plaza there. Uh, it was a nice experience, kind of a, uh, to be in a different, newer venue for uh, G-Fest there. The only downside is that uh, it it's a bit of a longer walk to some of the other places that uh, Ken and I used to go to, mainly the, uh, the whole, uh, what was it, uh, Rosemont Entertainment District there where we had the bowling alley, theater, uh, restaurants, uh, that sort of thing. So uh, that's, that's a little bit of a downside, but uh, um, yeah, at least get to see some of the people that you've seen over the years. Uh, obviously new faces here and there and uh, yes, yeah. they were. <laughs> <laughs> yes they were um, yeah I, I mean I think uh, again G-Fest really was kind of the highlight I would also add simply because now um, because we're gradually getting a little bit closer to the end of covering general kaiju movies at least in terms of review discussions not commentaries um you know we started incorporating more uh dinosaur and and western monster fair stuff yeah and so uh jurassic world dominion you know coming out Mm -hmm. in in june as well um that ended up i think internationally making just under a billion dollars at the box office if i'm not mistaken so obviously from a financial standpoint it was uh, very successful i think um from reviews of fans it was around 50 percent in either direction um but yeah i mean you know i can't think of anything else that was sort of big because there was no i mean other than dominion i mean there was no real specific kaiju related film that came out this year oh well the news of a new uh, godzilla and kong movie uh mm-hmm. that's going to be coming out here at some point yeah so it, it's, it's actually going to be uh released a day after my birthday in uh, 2024 so you can say that's kind of a nice birthday <laughs> present for me and yeah, then as so- well as the uh, the announcement of uh toho's uh, godzilla 2023 film which is the first time that they're releasing a godzilla movie in hard to believe in seven years up to that date yeah and then shin ultraman did that come was that earlier this year too 
Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. actually came out. I think around um, March or April this year. Yeah, I thought it was earlier this year, but I wasn't quite sure. I was able I to watch that. About that. <laughs> yeah, I well, I was able to watch that about a month, month and a half ago. And Jason has yet to see it, so that's why we haven't covered it. Um, I'm hoping at some point here in the next few months he's able to to see it. But in fact, I think um, a dubbed version is going to be going out in AMC theaters. I well, I think uh, was it? I think I believe it's uh, Fathom Events that they were going to be uh, doing a um, um, a showing of it for a couple of days at select theaters, and I think I believe the closest place that they're going to be doing that is uh, about an hour east or so from me uh, over in uh, Ames there at you gonna uh, go try that I'll I'll try it kind of depends because uh, I know I've got some other engagements uh, happening so I'll have to check more important than that. seeing a tokusatsu movie <laughs> well I gotta do it for company reasons so <laughs> always working for the man so, so let's see here fathom events Oop. but while jason's looking that up i will say this uh to try and not get too deep into it and to spoil things for jason um for those of you who remember about a year ago or so when the news had broke that um shinji higuchi and um um oh crap i forgot the other director um yeah it's from what I'm seeing here, it's during the weekday, Wednesday and Thursday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, it's, and, it's about, and it's about a couple of days before I go on a business trip. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah. But uh, and when Hideaki Anno and Shinji Higuchi were attached for Shin Ultraman, uh, a lot of you will remember that I was not thrilled with that just because I thought their Shin Godzilla movie just wasn't all that good. Um, I thought the effects by and large were good, but I thought just about everything else involving that film um, was pretentious nonsense and bad writing. Um, so I was not originally pleased with them being attached to a Shin Ultraman film. But then when I watched it here about a month or whenever it was here uh, ago, um, I actually found myself enjoying this one a lot more than I did Shin Godzilla. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, like I said, I liked it more than Shin Godzilla. I'm a little confused on kind of how the story is laid out a bit um, because there are just a few things I'm kind of scratching my head. I'm like, why are they doing this? Like, what are the string of events leading up to the conclusion of the film here? Um, because I just kind of was like, I don't know, like, is this what I think it is or am I misreading into this or what's going on here? So there was that aspect, but then there was another part of me that still felt a, a bit of disappointment because I thought, here they could have done a little bit more than what they did. So on the one hand, I thought they corrected a number of mistakes that they had made with Shin Godzilla. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the way they structured the story and just some of the creative decisions that they made 
with that story. I'm still scratching my head. I'm kind of in the middle of, did I understand this correctly? But also, if they did do what I think I'm seeing that they did here, I'm meh on it. So, um, you know, better than Shin Godzilla, which is all I can really <laughs> say for it. And I think that's about all I can say without having to spoil too much um, for Jason. So... I guess there's that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever then, we get to it. <laughs> and then uh, I think at that, uh, around the same time next year, we're going to have uh, Shin Kamen Rider being released and also being made by the, the same team. So, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> so, at least sort of, you know, kind of keep your fingers crossed. See if that uh, sort of. Tell them to get more positive. creative with the titles. Maybe that uh, positive vibe that you got from Shin Ultraman, see if that trans transfers over to Shin Kamen Rider. You want to go out on top. Now that you're yeah. doing Shin Kamen Rider, you're opening up the possibility of... <laughs> I wish they would just stop. It's like, okay, Shin Ultraman, I like, I like, I'll give you that, I like it now quit doing this <laughs> that's what i'm saying so to get back more on track um yeah i mean g fest and shin ultraman and the announcement of a new godzilla and kong movie those were kind of the big things uh yeah i mean for me though personally um it was g fest uh, you know getting back and and seeing people and being able to talk with some of them again and to experience it at a new location was a big deal and it was great uh, for me though the highlight of that whole convention was just bringing my son lincoln um mm. because i think if it was just the two of us yeah i still would have had fun and all that but it was different when i brought my son along this was his first g fest he had been wanting to go for a number of years i probably would have taken him in 20 if that had occurred but with him being seven when we went to the convention i thought he was older to appreciate more the nuances of, of what a convention is and yeah he still kind of would get bored with a few things and once we went into the dealer's room and he got a haul of toys and things like that he was more uh focused on those although he did enjoy the film room in the lower level of the hotel, I, mm -hmm. I think he said, other than the dealer's room, that that was his favorite part of the convention was going into the film room. And I had fun with him. He and I, um, one of the films we're going to be talking about as far as an anniversary is Gamma versus Gauss uh, in this episode. And that was one of the movies he and I watched from beginning to end in that film room. And we saw glimpses of a handful of other movies, including Conga TNT, which was pretty terrible um but <laughs> when i was watching gamma versus gauss here about a week ago to prepare for our discussion here on this podcast i was getting all these flashbacks to when i watched it in that film room with him at g fest and i i'm like you know what i've always liked this movie but it means more to me now because he and i shared that together in the film room at his first g fest and mm. being able to witness him experience and to sort of vicariously live through that initial excitement of going to a convention of something that you really enjoy um just excited me and and made me happy i i really had I think a little bit more fun this year at this year's G Fest just because he got to experience it for his first time and just 
the fact he's like, oh my gosh, look at all these Godzilla toys. I want – he literally – when we got into that dealer's room, the very first um, – you know, toy stand that was there when you came in. I forget the the dealers, but he immediately went to that and he started picking <laughs> stuff up. And we actually went a little over budget for for this convention because I'm like, all right, yeah, you can have this. And he wanted he got he got this big camera stuffy um, from Showcase uh, Dai Kaiju, and holy shit, it was overpriced. But I bought it for him. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I'm, and yeah, and um, yeah, and then oh my gosh, this other uh, dealer. It was maybe the second day, and he wanted the male Mudo um, figure that you get out of the the destruction. I was just, I was going to sort of bring this uh, little. <laughs> episode up that you mentioned about <laughs> and i thought it would be like 20 25 bucks and then i looked on the package and it said 50 bucks and i looked over the gal i said are you serious this is 50 bucks and she goes yeah and i'm thinking to myself god damn it like seriously 50 bucks for this little toy um you know and all that and you know but he really wanted one to go with his other 2014 godzilla figure so i was not thrilled with paying 50 bucks for it but it made him happy so i spent 50 bucks on a mudo toy and i told i told my son i said we're not buying anything from these people ever again these people are overpricing their shit (laughs) (laughs) um but you know despite all that i mean i had a lot of fun experiencing vicariously his first g-fest and um that just made me happy i I, it just i really love the fact that i got to share that with him he had a lot of fun with the costume parade he enjoyed going into um um was it the the dojo studios and kind of seeing how they were doing their things in there and then did he also enjoy that uh, the Minia's uh, art or craft arts and crafts room? He kind of did, yeah. I mean, um, he made a tote bag out of yeah. there. They had different like um, Godzilla movie posters you could cut out and glue. He uh, did that, um, but I don't think he was as overly excited about that as I had hoped he would be. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he we spent a little bit of time in there. Like I said, we made a little tote bag in there. But obviously his favorite place was the dealer's room. And he made out pretty well there this year. But <laughs> otherwise, other than that, I mean, it was the film room. He liked going in there watching most of the movies. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, for me, that was kind of the highlight was not just going back to G-Fest, but sharing that with him and just seeing – how excited he was to be there and to experience that. Yeah, for me, it was, I would say, uh, leading up to the event and then obviously getting to ex- uh, experience it in the new place and then sort of getting back to what we've done for many years straight up until the whole pandemic there. But it was good to kind of see you and the family there again also getting back over to michigan they're kind of spending some days hanging out with you uh lincoln and then uh 
realizing that my wife doesn't consider Kraft American cheese slices as real cheese. That was new to me. (laughs) (laughs) And then, well, when you're from Wisconsin and all, I mean, you're – you're going to have those kinds of... It uh, has nothing to do with being from Wisconsin. <laughs> I mean, she was vehemently opposed to me getting Kraft American cheese slices. I'm like, I never knew this. <laughs> and then and then as well as, uh, you know, taking the trip over to Chicago and then spending some time there with you, Link, and then uh, seeing some of the familiar faces there it was kind of it was really great to get back into the whole groove again that we've missed out uh the last couple of years that was kind of uh my whole take on the whole uh g-fest uh experience for this year but then obviously you know when we reviewed in our post uh show review of g-fest it would have been nice that they would have taken at least a couple of years to kind of uh, do some something different with the event. Although it was at a new venue, as we've mentioned time and time again, is that it still seemed to be the same overall. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, to me, that was sort of the biggest flaw other than the fact that the hotel's uh, ability to effectively broadcast in-house entertainment was pretty flawed um yeah was that, that disappointing was, but yeah that was <laughs> probably the major disappointment <laughs> yeah but i mean yeah i'm I, I, I mean, again, kind of like you said, just the fact that more or less it was kind of the same thing, just in a different venue. By the way, did you know it was at a different venue? <laughs> um, really? But, but yeah, I mean, again, just having Lincoln there to me made it unique and different enough mm-hmm. that I was okay with it. Uh, but yeah, I, I especially moving forward, I'm hoping that something can get changed up a little bit um, to offer something fresh and unique. Um, I mean, I I wrote a whole post about it like two years ago in in an open letter to, you know, the folks that put the convention together, like, please, like even bring in some different people, even if it's temporary, just to at least brainstorm something. Uh, Because especially now that you're in a new venue, (laughs) you got more space now. And plus, now you're going to be having competition. That's going to be uh, over at Crown Plaza and taking place two months before your event takes place there. So you're probably going to have to do something to be relevant or else you're just going to be left in the dust. Well, and again, and I didn't really want to bring this up, but um, the, the whole thing involving Artist Alley – um, was really ridiculous. That, that too. too. That, that's that, also the the elephant in the room. At like year. I had discussed on our post G Fest show, I said even if they were to go back this next year and allow and allow Artist Alley to come back, I think you would have some of your bigger artists probably not even show up 
anyways because of what they did this year. And that's the thing. When you make certain decisions like that, you get one chance. And even if you screw it up, you may not necessarily recover from that. And that, I think, is sort of going to be a disappointment with GFest going forward. And I think the longer that they do this the more it's going to hurt them. And it's not just the fact that they're missing out on more people coming to the convention, which means they're paying more fees and spending more money there and all that. It's going to mean a hurt on your reputation because all these other conventions are allowing it and okay and plus, with it. And, and plus, since you're having uh, all monsters attack, uh, taking place at Crown Plaza two months before G-Fest takes place. That, and I, I'm assuming that they're going to have their kind, uh, version of Ar- Artist Alley there, whereas G-Fest wouldn't. That's also going to you know, put a huge dent on G-Fest even further. Yeah, and I just... The unfortunate thing is, and again, I don't want to dig too deep into this either. Um, You know, I've been looking online at social media through different groups and things like that, and even able to peek at some people's Twitter accounts where, sadly, even before the whole Artist Alley event, G-Fest's reputation for some of the decisions it made uh, was already kind of in a rough spot with some people. And I think Artist Alley really i think was kind of the nail in the coffin for some people because i think even for some of these artists like i just said a moment ago even if they are allowed back in as early as this next year i think many of them are going to say no um because all monsters attack was received very well this year uh monster palooza is continuing to do well as uh, also i think they're even um some other regional kaiju related conventions popping up i think as one well. down in uh, pensacola something like that and i thought there was like another one kind of in the southeastern part as well i like can i don't know tennessee georgia or somewhere in there and i thought there was another one that might be out west also i mean you're starting to see some more regional conventions pop up too and um, look, I am a fan of G-Fest. I mean, you know, we had been going, this would have been, what, our ninth consecutive uh, convention we went to or something like that. Um, yeah. And, um, well, you know, hey. I have a lot of fond memories of there. Yeah, I've, I've been disappointed in some of the decisions made by the convention in recent years. Uh, but I still have enjoyed going. It was time, you know, Jason and I got to spend time with each other and, and other people and experiencing and sharing our love for something that we all enjoy. And then this year, too, taking my son, seeing him enjoy it for his first time. Uh, I still would like to go, but, um, I, I, you know, it's just disappointing that certain decisions have been made that I think are hurting G-Fest. And as a result, G-Fest isn't doing really anything to resolve those issues, let alone to change up the convention uh, itself to make it exciting, especially for those of us who have been going enough to just say, you know, keep coming back. We're offering this, you know, and all that. But anyway, um, still, it was for me, the highlight of the year in terms of Kaiju related activity and um yeah i mean yeah i i hope that uh within a couple of years that they'll make some changes 
uh, with me not going uh, probably until I would say at, at the least 2025, perhaps. Hopefully that they'll make some changes since they've uh, sort of recently had some, uh, uh, well, with J.D. Lee's announced not too long ago that he's going to be uh, stepping down as the head of the organization that uh, uh, organizes G-Fest and having his, his uh, one of his daughters uh, taking over. So hopefully uh, that they'll be able to make some changes with the convention within the next two years before I at least decide to maybe try at least um, once more to go uh, to G-Fest, see if they made any changes. If not, I'm not sure if I'll go the year after that or what have you. Yeah. So with that, do we want to go on to our next topic? Um, if you don't uh, have anything else to, to add to oh, the... Oh, I, I, I do, actually. Um, G-Fest was at a new venue this year. <laughs> i just thought i put that in there but anyways um moving on to our next topic uh this year marks 30 years of jason and i being godzilla slash kaiju fans officially hard hard to believe it just it it feels like yesterday because i can remember uh vividly some of um some of the days when we started watching uh, Godzilla movies for the first time, specifically Godzilla versus the Sea Monster, and I can remember uh, buying Godzilla versus Megalon the VHS over at uh, the local Kmart, which was not too far from where we used to live many many years ago. And then, and I think you might have purchased. Uh, King Kong versus Godzilla, the, obviously the American version. Mom and Dad did. Or that too, yeah. <laughs> they, we were at Walmart and we happened to look in the video section. There was King Kong versus Godzilla and you and I just flipped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then I can remember for many, many years, this one local uh, video rental store. I think it was called Freedom, Freedom Video. video. <laughs> and like almost... Every single time that we're there, I always rented uh, Godzilla 1985. I even got annoyed with it after a while. (laughs) (laughs) I really liked that movie. I know you did. (laughs) I still, yeah, I mean, I still remember one time the third Godzilla movie we owned was Godzilla King of the Monsters. And I remember it was a rainy day and I was sick and I was at home. I was, uh, you know, just kind of lying on the couch in the family room, just watching TV. And you and dad went out somewhere. And I think it was Kmart again. You was one of the stops you guys made. And you guys came home with Godzilla, King of the Monsters. And so we popped that in and we watched that that afternoon. Um, so, yeah, after I know the first three Godzilla movies we purchased in order. After that, I'm not exactly sure in what order everything else came in. But, um, yeah, I mean, 
30 years. I, I, I do remember as a kid before even seeing Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster, which was the first Godzilla movie we saw, I was aware of Godzilla. And I remember, and I remember an you old, had that uh, little Godzilla. I still have uh, that. Figurine. And I still. The Imperial Godzilla. And uh, probably not be able to see it here. Maybe if I move the camera there, that big Godzilla right there, yeah. kind of in that uh, top top row. Uh, this one right here. I can remember buying that at the uh, the KB Toy Store at the local <laughs> mall there. And that was you the very had, first Godzilla figure that I owned. I remember you had your eyes on that for a while. And then I don't know if it was your birthday or what. Like You immediately wanted to go there and pick up that Godzilla. And um, yeah, I remember was, you used to play that in the bathtub with you. We'd take yeah, the was, arms off and stuff. And <laughs> It's and it's the the much larger version of uh, the figurine that Kent uh, still mm-hmm. has, and and I can still when I brought that out to put it on that uh, shelf there, there's still some little uh, caked dried dirt on some of the figures there from many years <laughs> after. <laughs> yeah, you took that thing with you just about everywhere you went for quite a while, but. Yeah, I mean, I was aware of Godzilla when I was younger before I saw my first movie, and I remember an old Honey Nut Cheerios commercial oh, yeah, from some one, DuckTales yeah. cartoons that we had uh, where it was the honeybee talking to Godzilla because Godzilla was supposed to come off as being grouchy because he was hungry. Yeah. And it was clips from Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla, 1985 – and even Sea Monster that were all kind of combined in this one. I, you might even be able to find it on YouTube. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've, seen, this. I've, I've actually seen that maybe several or so months ago, that yeah, uh, exact it, commercial. And I remember that, like like the honeybee being like afraid of Godzilla and then Godzilla roaring and the honeybee throwing a bowl of Honey Nut Cheerios down his throat and then Godzilla jumping into the sea and then the people uh, narrating the commercial they were saying he's going home and then the bee said something like the bigger they are the hungrier they are for Honey Nut Cheerios I think is what he said Mm. Um, so I was aware of Godzilla but I never saw a movie, and I had that Imperial Godzilla figure for – I think I got that at the age of three. Like someone gave that to me for a birthday gift because there's a picture of me when I was three, and I had some of my yeah, dinosaur I think, toys I think I remember seeing that there. picture many years ago. Yeah, and Godzilla was right there kind of in the mix, and um, – you know, after watching Godzilla versus the Sea Monster, as the old saying goes, that changed everything. In fact, human history forever changed because Jason and I became fans. I mean, that's how important <laughs> that was. Human history will never be the same now <laughs> because of that. Hashtag truth. <laughs> and then I remember, I think it was. Um, the year after in 93 or perhaps 94 when uh, Treadmasters, you can probably see some of the figurines on my shelf here where they started out with uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters uh, line. This one here, 
is the uh, the Mechagodzilla from that line there. And then this bendable Godzilla. I think this is the very first one uh, that I bought from that line. And I remember using this one uh, in some of the uh, the movies that <laughs> Ken and I and some of our uh, friends have done uh, many years ago where he was kind of the leading uh, man. And what was his uh, name? Uh, I know it. Okay, just making sure that you remember. <laughs> and, and also got... Uh, one of uh, the characters uh, there too, uh, right there in the mix, uh, who's uh, I called Slimer or something. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then but of course yeah, I, you had uh, uh, Godzilla Wars uh, brand line there, and then the Space Godzilla from that line there too. So I've got quite a few. <laughs> Well, yeah, and one of my favorite memories, it first started like in the spring of 94. It was a really rainy like Saturday. And so mom and dad were like, ah, you know, we'll go rent some movies for you. So we went to Freedom Video and we rented Astro Monster and Mothra versus Godzilla. And those were the first time we had those seen two, those yeah. two movies. And you and I just had, a, you know, a blast. Like those two, at least for me anyways, those are two of my favorite Godzilla movies. And, and then, then later that year, from Monster Vision on TNT. Yeah. We recorded those two movies along with a handful of other films. And for a number of years afterwards, we would watch that cassette, not just to watch those movies, but to watch some of the wonderful Christmas commercials <laughs> that were involved there too. It was when TNT was like the bomb. Oh, and yeah. I still think about that every year and almost every time actually I watch one of those two movies because I know exactly where the commercial breaks are for those two movies when they showed them back in 94. And I mean, like for me, Thanksgiving and Christmas was forever changed because of that monster vision that year. And those movies, I mean, part of the reason why I love those movies, not just because I find them to be great entertaining films, it's because of this nostalgic sentimentality I have for 1994's Monster Vision. And then the year after that for Monster Vision, they showed Terror Mechagodzilla. Mm -hmm. We had never seen that one before up until that time. I remember that was on late one night it was on at like 12 30 in the morning or something like that and dad set the vcr to record that and you and i were anxious to get up early the next morning so we could watch that because again we had never seen that movie up to that point and we were just like oh my gosh like this is amazing there's titanosaurus <laughs> like, it's the sequel to godzilla vs mechagodzilla godzilla's returned and like, it was yeah it was a BFD. <laughs> it just, it, it was, I mean, and being a fan for 30 years, look, uh, being a fan of something like Godzilla, especially there for a while, was almost um, like you kind of quietly kept it to yourself because a lot of people, and to some degree, some people still do make fun of it. But back then, more people made fun of it and made fun of you and all that. And so even though we were kids, for quite a while, we were open about it because we were kids. But then when we got a little bit older, we kind of kept it a little bit more quiet. And then now all of a sudden, 98 came along. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I could go on and on about. Um, and then I and then I can still remember that uh, when we moved uh, to our new house back then, many years ago in 96, I, I can remember, I, I think it was you, 
our mom and I, we went uh, to uh, the mall in one of the suburbs there in Des Moines, and we went to Suncoast there at the time, which unfortunately is no longer around. Um, we found both uh, the VHSs to uh, got sold in nineteen eighty five, which I picked up, and then I think imagine been, that, and then might have been <laughs> you that uh, found Godzilla versus Bailane. Bailane, yeah, it was one of the very first days when we moved into our new house there, because I can still remember I was on top of this uh, bunk bed that we had that wasn't like bed sheets and stuff were even made, and that I think we. Um, once we got back, we started watching that movie. No, no, we didn't because we found that when we were still living in that hotel for about a month or two because I remember we were just out. And then after that, we went to the machine shed for supper because I had wanted to buy it. But for some reason, like I didn't want to buy it yet or whatever it was. I don't remember what the reasoning was, but I remember being very upset that – I didn't pick it up. And then, so I think it was like a day or two later, uh, we went back there, picked it up and then we had it, but we couldn't watch it cause we hadn't actually moved in yet. And then I remember once we did start to move in our room was one of the first things mom and dad set up. At least they, um, ended up, um, setting up the TV and stuff in our room. Mm-hmm. And so that way we would not be in the way of <laughs> movers coming in and bringing stuff. Yeah. And the very first thing we did watch was by Alane because, you know, obviously we had seen 1985 more than enough times to count at that point. <laughs> and by Alane, I had heard about from a friend of mine at the previous place we lived at. I only was friends with him for a year because we ended up moving. Mm-hmm. But he had told me about Bailane, and he and I, no joke, we would have phone calls occasionally where we would be on the phone for like a couple hours just talking about Godzilla stuff yeah. and talking yeah, about I've, the movie. I think I know the, the friend that you're uh, talking about. Yeah, and he had told me about Bailane and all that, and he was hyping it up. And I remember, though, after watching Bailane for the first time, I, I, I looked at you, and I'm like, that was actually kind of disappointing because – you know, the poster made it look epic. And then the way mm-hmm. my friend had talked about the movie made it seem epic. And I'm like, the Rose fight was short. Bailani was hardly in this movie. And then the final fight where it looks like a big giant crocodilian monster, it got defeated again. What is this? Like, I remember being disappointed about that movie for a number of years because I'm like, ah, Bailani's hardly in it. It gets destroyed very quickly. Well, then as I got older, I began to appreciate more nuances of storytelling. And then on top of that, too, after I didn't watch the movie for like over a decade, I went back and watched it. And I'm like, there's actually a lot of kaiju action in here. Yeah, Bailana isn't in it a ton. But once Godzilla shows up, I mean, that's it. I mean, it's Godzilla, 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 Godzilla. And I had a newfound appreciation for that movie part of it was because i was away from it for so long but then i was older i was able to see things in it that i couldn't when i was younger and um yeah like bailani has become more of a favorite movie of mine whereas if you had asked me about it like back in the late 90s early 2000s i would have said no it's near the bottom and uh yeah i mean yeah and then um and then now going into 98 with uh, the American version of uh, Godzilla there, I remember 
uh, New Year's Eve and stuff in 97 going into 98, we saw what was basically a commercial. We thought both you and I, we thought it was uh, like almost real in a way when they did that uh, New Year's Eve ball drop everything's like oh it's already started then and then all of a sudden you hear like all these rumblings and then this tail knocking off the uh the new year's ball going towards the people and then all of a sudden you get this green glow and then it says godzilla and then you and i were like holy 1998 the year of godzilla oh mommy dad (laughs) there's a godzilla movie coming up like it's like you and i we were just so stoked like you wouldn't even believe (laughs) i know i I don't even know where to begin the excitement for that i know i I mean here's the thing first off i gotta get it out of the way for all the 98 haters grow up I, i mean for starters a lot of your hatred and stuff is not only hypocritical but at the same time it's just preposterous if you do not like the movie then so be it, but I think a lot of the reasoning behind it is just childish. But and, um, <laughs> but the marketing for that movie is – I will always remember the marketing for that. I mean Godzilla was everywhere, mm-hmm. and the, all the merchandise, the books, the watches, the couches, the straws, the action figures, the, the, the plushies. I mean just about anything you can imagine – Godzilla. And then then, uh, that was also the year when we uh, took a family vacation up to the Twin Cities Mm -hmm. uh, there. And I remember Mall of America where they had like at least a few toy stores at the time where they had a lot of the Godzilla stuff. And I remember this figurine right here that I bought from one of the stores uh, up there. And then I remember... It was also the same time when we found uh, Godzilla versus King Ghidorah, the 91 movie, and then Godzilla versus Mothra, 92. And I think it might have been uh, a couple others. We got the straw monsters up there. Yeah. Um, and I thought maybe there was – we might have gotten Son of Godzilla up there too. I can't quite remember. Because several um, – entertainment companies release especially sony which they own a, quite a few rights to the godzilla films yeah and then i forget some of the other companies off the top and of i think right uh now. godzilla versus destroyer and maybe space that godzilla? came later that and space godzilla it came out like that winter i think mm. and then mecha godzilla 2 which was strange didn't come out till like march of 2000 i remember getting that one because that yeah. one was mysteriously absent for a while but um yeah i mean all this i mean you had godzilla stuff you finally had access to movies on vhs that either had been released before many years ago and just were out of print or had never been available before uh, officially in the u.s and you had all of that yeah. stuff. It's just, and, it was Godzilla mania. Yeah. And I would at least would like to say if it wasn't for uh, the 98 Godzilla movie coming out, we probably wouldn't have a whole lot of access to any of the other Japanese Godzilla films at the time, even though that. Um, a couple of years later, you had Godzilla 2000 come out, which I still remember when uh, this was the very first 
actual Japanese Godzilla film that we went to see in theaters. It was just the two of us and then a guy with his uh, son at that one in the theater. theater. Dad was sitting in the car in the parking lot reading. He didn't want to <laughs> go see it. I remember he's like, no, okay, I'll sit here in the car. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, that was a, that was a really good time experiencing the very first uh, Japanese Godzilla movie that we've seen in theaters there, which wouldn't be able to get the experience that again up until Kent's favorite movie. <laughs> oh, <laughs> see, I was trying to forget that. Now I got to like wait around a while to try to forget that one again. But I just want to say that 30 years as a Godzilla fan, it's definitely had its ups and downs. I mean, like I had talked about, you know, when you were a teen and all that, and you kind of started realizing a little bit more of the world around you, kind of keeping it a little on the down low for a bit. And until things became popular, um, and then now everybody's a god, which is good. I mean, I'm not complaining. Uh, but then, too, I have to admit as well, really one of the downers um, has been dealing with other fans. Um, you know, a couple of times on this podcast in years past, we've talked about how the fandom uh, in many ways, you know, kind of hurts itself, hurts the property and kind of cannibalizes its own. Now, granted, I'm kind of messing with some things here because otherwise I'm going to have a Japanese language thing that's going to get destroyed if I'm not careful here. Um, but um, social – I mean really the internet in particular because while the internet's a great tool, a lot of people have abused it over the years. You know, Originally, it was kind of message boards um, that started. Now you got social media and groups and pages and all that stuff. And just all of a sudden, um, not just kaiju groups, but even – Batman groups, Star Wars, Star Trek, Marvel. I mean, with the whole messaging board uh, period back in the day, and I remember, you know, the Monster Zero uh, message board and everything. I can remember being on there and sort of seeing that uh, over a period of time with uh, when you go through all the messages. And everything, too, is sort of the same way, just sort of, I would say, more prominent when it came to the social media period. Yeah. And I mean, I used to frequent Rodan's Roost and me being a fan of 98. Yeah. Um, I remember I, I knew not everybody liked it, but I became more aware of just how hated that movie became when I started interacting with people on there and i was even treated pretty poorly by quite a few people for a while just because i was a fan of that movie um and you know it's been it's been tough at times and like i said it's been more of dealing with fellow fans because you get a number of people out there who just that they it really gatekeep and because of how they think about a certain movie or whatever they think that's the way things should be and um you know i've sort of retreated away from from that i think i've even mentioned uh, mentioned it on here a few months back that i've left a number of groups and 
pages of kaiju-related uh, themes on Facebook over recent years just because not only was I tired of seeing posts like Rodan versus Fairy Mothra, who wins? Like, I, Not only did I get tired of seeing stuff like that just because I thought it was boring after a well, while. I would, I would sort of say that's sort of what we did when it came to the whole – uh, MCW thing when we that was all different that many because years that ago. was the sole purpose of that, and we used to have a wrestling generator that we did all that stuff through. Yeah, but um, I just got tired of the venom, and I got tired of people gatekeeping. I got tired of just people treating each other like crap, and it's so funny because for so many years. So many fans like us in groups like Kaiju fandom and maybe even some comic book fans and what have you were always lamenting that it seemed like American society would make fun of you because you were a nerd in something. And then all of a sudden in our lifetime, nerd culture is very predominant, if not even the biggest leading cultural thing driving our entertainment industry anymore. Mm. And now it's cannibalism within that nerd culture and it's been frustrating to witness and to inadvertently be a part of it just because you are a nerd and something um but it's just sad as well because you see it degenerate so quickly in a short period of time and it's just it's like nerds are now the new jocks. You know, <laughs> we're shoving our own into the lockers and taking their lunch money now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because, I, I, like I've said, it's it's gotten to the point to where it's not as fun anymore. And there have even been a few G Fests where I've talked about where some of the panels I thought really have sort of lost sight of what it means to be a fan because now. Because being not just a nerd, but even being a kaiju fan, even in the United States now where you've had a handful of American-produced monster movies in the last eight to ten years even, and the fact that the word kaiju now is becoming very predominant in uh, U.S. pop culture, that people are losing sight of what it used to be like. And yeah, you can – it's fine if you either really love or don't love a particular movie, but then to really go out and to attack people because they um, think of a certain show or movie differently than you, and it's become this pop culture war within itself, within every fandom. Every fandom has it, and it just – it's disgusting, and I've tried walking away from it, and I know I get very um, animated when I talk about Shin Godzilla on here. Part of that is for entertainment purposes. And sort of what I, you're doing right now. <laughs> part of it is for entertainment purposes, but at the same time, I really do dislike Shin Godzilla. I mean, I just – I don't think a lot of the decisions made for that movie were necessarily in the best interest of, of the movie and the character but Mm. unlike a lot of people who still almost 25 years later are losing sleep over the 98 godzilla movie i'm not losing sleep over shin godzilla i'm like it's out there some people love it fine my biggest problem i think associated with shin godzilla more than anything else is that the people who love it used the same um 
uh, uh, reasons to love it that I have over the years for liking the 98 movie, and yet those same people who love Shin Godzilla are and attacked me for those reasons that I loved 98 movie are using those same reasons now for saying that that's why they love Shin Godzilla. And, you know, I just find it to me, it's the hypocrisy mm-hmm. within the fandom that drives me nuts more than anything else. But being a fan for 30 years has definitely changed my life. I mean, like I, you know, my son loves this stuff. He loves watching these movies. Uh, even over the last like couple weeks, he's been playing Godzilla Save the Earth on my Xbox 360 here and having fun with that. Um, you know, he loves watching the movies. One of the things he and I did for a while when COVID first hit um, was that for the first like three to four weeks after that he and i every night would watch a monster movie namely godzilla type films and then it got to the point to where nights were getting late and i was getting tired so we were doing it every other night and then it was like every couple of nights but that was something he and i shared for most of 2020 was that he had never watched most of those movies at that point and i said hey let's just watch these movies and he really enjoyed doing that and became a you know a huge fan definitely by that point of of this stuff and um we've enjoyed it we shared godzilla versus kong when it was streaming on hbo max last year mm-hmm. um i mean it's and just loving something like this and again i can't really describe why i love it the way that i do but i do i mean it's just it's entertaining some of it yeah it goes back to loving dinosaurs but again why do you love dinosaurs I don't know. I just do. And it's just, you know, it's provided for me. I don't know how many thousands or hundreds of thousands of hours of entertainment. And um, like even my wife now is aware of certain monsters and things like that. She brought up King Ghidorah in a conversation here like a week, week and a half ago. And I was like, (laughs) I am very impressed. You do that. That's very sexy, right? Like. Like you're talking about Ghidorah. Like I, and you had no prompting. Like you knew that. And so like it's like being a fan of this stuff. It's just been it's been life changing. I, I mean, like you know, we've been to eight or nine G fests in the last ten years, and um, like I, it's hard for me to imagine my life without being a kaiju fan. I mean, it's just. I, I mean, I. You know, I've got, I, I kid you not, this closet that I have here next to me, uh, 90, probably about 90, 92% of what I got in there are kaiju shirts. The other uh, percentages are He Man and Jurassic Park shirts. And I would at <laughs> least have to say, as far as all my t shirts and stuff that I mainly have them in, I would say close to 50. Close to fifty percent is just all kaiju-related T-shirts on one yeah. side of my closet. <laughs> I mean, being a fan of this stuff has been great, and then being able to experience the fact that Western pop culture has not only begun to embrace this, but even produce some of these movies as well, and to witness that for the first time, and to also be able to um, see. A newer Godzilla versus Kong movie has been great. I still have a few issues with that movie, but it's still a very good, entertaining film. 
that I'm glad was done. Um, but being a fan of this stuff for 30 years, yeah, I mean, definitely ups and downs, uh, like I think anybody could say about being a part of any fandom, but it's been fantastic. I, I can't imagine my life not being a Godzilla or Kaiju fan. As uh, it's it's the same that goes uh, for me too, because like I wouldn't even know what my life would have been like without uh, Godzilla and the whole kaiju uh, genre. And like the one thing I should have pointed out when we were discussing sort of our history throughout the thirty years that at our one house down in uh, Des Moines, there that was also I forget what specific year it was that was also uh one of the years when i found out about the gamera franchise and i bought one of the movies that probably was the very first one and i can still remember when i brought it home and showed it to you you were still you were a bit reluctant <laughs> i know at the, at the time i was i was like <laughs> Like I'm, I'm, I'm more all like, about Godzilla fuck authors. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. I'm like, what's this? What's this knockoff shit you're bringing home? Like, you're a Godzilla fan, not this Gamera wannabe. And then, like, I don't know, like a decade and a half later, I'm like, I love Gamera. Like, <laughs> well, actually, no. It happened with Guardian of the Universe when we got that VHS tape, like handful of years later, and then yeah. uh, I revisited the the Showa one as an older, more mature individual. <laughs> And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, these are cheesy. Definitely a knockoff, but I love it. <laughs> so yeah, if it, if it wasn't for me, we wouldn't have delved into any of the other kaiju movies besides Godzilla. <laughs> we, we would have. It just would have been. I think it would have taken a lot longer to do so. <laughs> but all things, I would have been like, all thanks to I'm me. Like, that knockoff <laughs> for, there? for doing it sooner. <laughs> yeah, but. Uh, but um, I forget uh, the one thing uh, I was going to say. Now I, now I lost my train of thought. <laughs> you know what? You were saying I'm not sure what my life oh, would have been like yeah. uh, had I not been a fan. I want to just say this. You would have been dealing drugs. <laughs> so Godzilla <laughs> saved you from becoming a druggie. Uh, you're wrong on that one. <laughs> but uh, probably, I probably could have followed into – I would say more into the Nintendo stuff because I know during that time I started getting into more of the the whole Nintendo stuff, playing some of the games. You know, the first one I can still remember playing that many years ago, as well as number three uh, there for Super Mario Brothers, and I probably remember can't remember some of the other ones there, but I know uh, I was. Uh, really into the whole Nintendo uh, titles and uh, the area there as well, but who knows? Who knows what anime? <laughs> well, part part of the, the Godzilla stuff sort of led into the whole anime That's what I'm saying. Uh, thing back in the, the early 2000s when it, came, when it came to Dragon Ball, although they did show uh, some of the episodes of uh, Dragon Ball Z on Fox, and I remember seeing maybe a few so episodes then, but I didn't really get hooked on to it um, until uh, 
Cartoon Network showed uh, Dragon Ball Z via through Toonami. Toonami. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so are we ready to talk about our top five favorite kaiju movies of the year? Now, these are movies. Jason did it differently than I did. But I'm talking about as far as movies that we watched this year that have ended up uh, becoming – uh, just some of our favorites to watch over the year. Hello, Newman. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, we're going to go f- uh, start off at five and go all the way down to one. Um, so just kind of name your movie. And if you want to, you can give kind of a brief reason as to why it's on your list or where it is. So... Uh, do you want me to go first or do you want to yes. go first? You can go first. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, for my uh, number five that I got on my list here is uh, probably, well, I shouldn't say probably, it is going to be one of the movies that we're going to be talking about uh, here soon. It's uh, Godzilla vs. Gigan, which is uh, number five on my list. And, uh, Brief thing I just want to go over since we're going to be talking about it here uh, sometime here is that um, it's still a really good movie, even after all these years when you and I have uh, seen it from the English version all the way to the uh, the original Japanese cut version, which I just uh watched that one last night via through the Criterion collection, which I bought over at G-Fest this year. Um, it's st- to me, I think it still holds up. And I think out of all the Showa films, it's really one of the cleanest Christmas films in the entire Showa era. History of uh, movies. <laughs> you can say that. Uh, say but um, it's it's still a really good movie with a lot of good characters uh, in there, um, good visual effects and uh, plot, everything, and as well as music, it's uh, a really good movie um, over and over again. So, Godzilla vs. Gigan is my number five on my list. So number five on my list should really come as no surprise uh, to anyone who has listened to this podcast long enough. It's the 2014 Godzilla. Um, I watched that uh, several times earlier in the year, and um, I just I really love that movie so much. I remember watching it for the first time in theaters in 2014, and I was sort of mixed on it initially after I first watched it. But then when I went back to theaters a couple times and watched it again, I fell immediately in love with it. Uh, That Godzilla design for the whole MonsterVerse is one of my favorites. I loved um, the story and the movie. Uh, I think the Mudos were fantastic. I thought the character work well, not the greatest, was still done really well. I still would put the character work as one of the better uh, pieces of uh, character work within the entire franchise. Um, definitely top 10, in my opinion. Um, and the score to the film by Alexander Desplat is 
really good and moving as well. I thought very fitting and haunting. Uh, some of the cinematography, I think, is absolutely fantastic. The effects, even for a movie that is eight years old this year, I think still hold up incredibly well. The buildup to seeing Godzilla in that uh, Honolulu airport, still the buildup to that is still – it gets me every time and i've seen this movie i don't know how many dozens of times over the last eight years um, it sort of did the same to me uh when i saw it recently <laughs> that yeah i mean build up to it a lot of people still kind of you know poo poo the movie a big oh my gosh like godzilla you don't see much it's like well you have to understand gareth edwards was trying to mimic alien and jaws two very beloved movies for fans of the sci-fi genre and yet why aren't you doing the same here with and also godzilla but <laughs> also the original godzilla practically did the same thing too yeah and i thought i i just and think he, Gareth and, and he was in there for the same amount of time as the 2014 one yeah and um you know Gareth Edwards, I think, is still the best director in the entire MonsterVerse. I, I, I like what everyone else did with their particular installments in the MonsterVerse, but I think Gareth Edwards made the best-looking movie. I think his movie is more of a – not just an entertaining movie, but a wonderful piece of art itself – because the way it's shot, the way things transition, the way things are told and just done, it's spectacular. I can't think of any other moments that would even rival certain uh, sequences like the Golden Gate Bridge sequence where Godzilla comes in and the battleships are attacking him and then his plates come up to block a couple missiles from attacking uh, or from hitting that bus that uh, Brody's kid uh, is in. Um, mm -hmm. No, no, Ford. <laughs> Ford's um, Ford's uh, kid is in. And then you see him like towering, like you get a like an actual person's uh, I view of like Godzilla towering over the suspension cables on the Golden Gate Bridge, and then the tanks shoot him. You see his enormous hand like gripping a couple of the suspension cables, and then eventually busting through that bridge. Um, and then the fact too, my wife and I went to San Francisco uh, three years ago now. Gosh, it's hard to believe it was that long ago now. And then seeing some of those areas like in person, it just was surreal um, seeing some of those same locations in downtown San Francisco um, and all that. I, I just think the 2014 Godzilla movie is a work of art, is very entertaining, well acted, well told. Uh, in my personal opinion, it truly is one of the better Godzilla movies in the franchise. And it's a movie that I think a lot of people need to look at again and, and to really see that – I'm going to use the M word. I think it's a masterpiece. I think it is one of the better made films out there. And I just think it, it deserves more credit than what it's gotten over eight years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so onwards to number four. So uh, the number four film of 2022 on my list, it's uh, I would say this one's uh, the only non-kaiju uh, movie on this list, and 
it's the one movie that both Ken and I have seen for many years growing up. It's Planet of Dinosaurs. (laughs) (laughs) The reason why I put this on my list is that, um, you know, like I said, both of us have grown up to seeing this movie many, many times up until at a certain point, and I have not seen it for God knows how long up until just recently this year. It was like March or something we watched it, I think it was. Yeah. And I can, it's like, when watching that movie, it just sort of took me back and remembering some, some of the good times that we had many years ago. And I can still remember as night as day, like remembering everything that went on with that uh, whole movie. What happens? Who are the people? What uh, specific dinosaurs were in this movie? It just, it was just a nostalgic uh, ride when it came to seeing that movie for the first time after so many years. I, the characters in there, oh, uh, I think a lot of them just the music made, made the movie. The music, yes, definitely the music the uh, for that music. movie. It just, it just, yeah. It like I said, it's just that whole nostalgic drive uh, when it came to seeing this for the first time for so long, and just seeing the stop motion animation when it came to the dinosaurs and some of the other creatures, especially the that huge spider in one of the sequences in there it's i mean for for as cheesy as it is it's the care the characters the human characters really make the movie as well as the stop motion animation uh to the movie as well as the plot and everything it's it's one of the reasons why that this movie made it to my top five for this year. Yeah, I forgot that we had done that earlier in the year. Yeah. Um, my <laughs> number four is Terror of Mecha Godzilla. Um, I ended up watching that uh, just out of curiosity sake here month and a half or so ago because it had been a while since I had seen it. And it was an initially, you know, going back to, you know, when we were talking about 19, you know, Monster Vision and all that uh, a while ago. Terror Mechagodzilla at one point growing up was my favorite 70s Godzilla movie. And even earlier in our fandom, when we first saw the movie, it was one of my favorites at the time. Um, but I hadn't seen it in a while, and so I popped in the DVD and watched it. And recent years, my opinion on the movie was that yeah, it's fine. Uh, you know, I, I'm not as in love with it as I once was. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to pop it in. And I actually really enjoyed it uh, an awful lot during that viewing. I, I, it, again, it took me back a little bit to 95, watching it, uh, you know, on a recording of Monster Vision, um, enjoying the story uh, quite a bit, especially now that we got the full version, uh, the unreleased full version of the movie knowing exactly what happens and 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 all that because back in the day there were weird 
jump scenes that even then you and I knew like something was amiss in certain mm-hmm. uh, segments and being able to see the film in all its glory and to be able to understand it better without having weird jump cuts um, was really nice. Uh, I still am a bit disappointed at the fact that it seemed like Mechagodzilla was relegated to a very much a secondary role in the movie. As I've gotten older and I've watched that movie more, I've become a bit more disappointed in how that character sits kind of way off in the background for the most part uh, in its own movie. Um, The American one, the American International Pictures version more specifically, where they spend like seven minutes talking about Godzilla and his different encounters on the classic media DVD uh, is strange. But after owning that version of the DVD for like 15 years now and seeing that version enough times, I'm like, you know what? This is kind of annoying because I just want to get to the movie. But there's a part of me that actually finds it charming now (laughs) because whoever – put that together what they ended up doing in many respects was sort of um retcon godzilla's own history and really screwed up the timeline and stuff like that it's very amusing to watch that and it's kind of fun to see clips of of some of the other godzilla films before uh terra godzilla as well but um all in all I just had a fun time watching this movie after not having seen it for quite a while. And um, I don't know, like it's not my favorite 70s movie, even though I would say it's climbed up at this moment in time on my uh, favorites list of 70s Godzilla films. But it's definitely a a good time. I still get kind of um, emotional a little bit towards the end uh, because of not just now seeing Katsura's body being taken by uh, Ichinose to the coast there, whereas we didn't know that existed for many years um, via the old VHS mm-hmm. versions of the film. But then seeing Godzilla wade off into the sunset, and you're hearing Ifukube's music at that moment in time, this very sort of melancholy yet everything's all right kind of music. And then it uh, builds into this crescendo of, you know, closing everything out and then the big the end uh, boom of the music comes up and then it fades off, uh, you know, and, you know, that was it's and I think they knew it, it, but it was like a proper ending and a very emotional one to the Showa era of Godzilla movies, the the, the kind of effective curtain call, you could say, mm-hmm. because there have been many um, movies and shows and all that that either just abruptly ended without a proper ending or anything that maybe was satisfying. But you watch that, and if you know your Godzilla cinema history, you realize that's the last of the show. Technically not. It's, what was it, 85 is technically the last one. But, you know, as fans, Terror is the kind of the final one. Yeah, Um, and then we typically count uh, the 85 or 84 one as the beginning of the Heisei series there. Yeah, but... um, it's such a it's an emotional ending but it's a fun movie 
it's a very fun movie that knows what it is and by and large does it well so Mm -hmm. yeah that's my number four is there a way we could like put up a temporary like pause here because i have to use um the one thing i could do is just put the uh the follow us uh overlay on us for the time being um so i can at least do that and then just sort of mute both of us for the time being yeah we're gonna take a break here um yeah because we've been on for a bit nature calls so yeah we'll be back in hopefully just a few short minutes all right sounds good see you guys in a couple minutes We are back. All right. So we're going to continue our top five favorite kaiju movies of the year. And, oh, man, it seemed like my video quality has degraded. It was really good the first hour and a half. Now it seems like it's degraded. <laughs> because oh, you're crap. degrading. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe I should have, like, held it. And, like, <laughs> it's for the video quality. <laughs> or, or just take, like, a, a beer can or or a bottle or whatever and just pee in there. <laughs> yeah. Well, that we need to get a different program to do these podcasts <laughs> on. But um, we, yeah. we're going to continue now with number three of our top five favorite kaiju films of the year. Yeah, so my number three on my list for uh, 2022 is War of the Gargantuas. And uh, this one kind of like what uh, Kent mentioned earlier uh, when it came to Terror Mechagodzilla. This was uh, one of the films that we uh, saw on a Monster Vision many, many years ago. I can't remember which specific year it was. 95. But uh, yeah, I can still remember uh, I think it was one of the first non- Godzilla related uh, films for us to watch on Monster Vision and uh, I didn't quite I can't quite remember what my initial thought on uh, the movie was I think it might have been sort of uh, in the middle maybe towards a bit more positive on the movie and watching it over over and over again over the years uh, and then recently here uh, this year that I begin to uh, think of it in a more of a positive light, especially seeing it now more in a uncut version of uh, the movie there in its original language and how it was shown and everything. And I really enjoy it. Uh, more and more and how they uh, portrayed uh, the characters, uh, the human characters and the two gargantuas in this film. You sort of kind of get 
kind of get attached to not only uh, Santa, which is the brown one, and maybe a little bit more with Gaia in the uh, uh, original version in this, whereas in the more kind of the American version, it just seemed like you had more negativity towards Gaia in that one. But um, overall, it's a really good uh, non-Godzilla related kaiju film. Um, Still, like I said, really enjoyed it after many years of seeing it since when we first saw it on uh, Monster Vision back in 95. So War of the Gargantuas is my number three. That is one of my favorite uh, Honda non-Godzilla movies, too. I really like that one. My number three um, is Godzilla King of the Monsters 2019. Um, This is a movie that for the last few years I was always sort of down on a little bit because I thought Doherty, one of my biggest things was that I thought Doherty with um, starting with that movie and then even a little bit going into Godzilla versus Kong, it, to me it seemed like the tone that was set by the 2014 Godzilla and then continued with Skull Island for the most part was all of a sudden missing. It seemed like the enormity of the creatures and kind of the artistry that Gareth Edwards had with that 2014 movie, all of a sudden it was gone. It, it, what it came off to me as was a an Americanized Toho Godzilla movie. And on one level, there was a part of me that was happy to see that because I'm like, oh, okay, what would something like this look like if an American studio were to take the Toho formula and make it themselves but then i was really disappointed at the same time because i thought the 2014 movie especially for western audiences took the 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 subject matter and tried to not make it as maybe silly as kind of what we're accustomed to with a lot of those toho godzilla movies not every single one i'm aware of that i'm a godzilla fan you know I'm, I'm, I know every film. Oh, not, um, not only him, but me as well. <laughs> yeah. So I, I really thought in it, in some respects, it just kind of took things backwards. That what they ended up doing was they listened to the diehards and really didn't do much in terms of trying to serve some of those uh, fans to tr- uh, who maybe were skeptical and trying to win them over. And you know, they were a lot of fans complained too that there wasn't much Godzilla in 2014. Well, guess what? In the 2019 movie, if you clock the the Godzilla action and all that, uh, it's only like one or two minutes longer than it is in 2014. It's it's it doesn't register that much more. Um, mm-hmm. So for a while, I was kind of down a little bit on uh, King of the Monsters, but the more I've watched it over the years and part of it is due to the fact that lincoln uh that's one of his favorites out of the monsterverse and he was watching it quite a bit there for a while um not just in 2020 but even last year and even earlier this year so i watched it kind of as a result of him having put it on i i got to a point where i i kind of got over some of my initial issues with the artistry that even though that still bothers me a small extent it doesn't bother me the way that it did back in 2019 um 
I find the movie to be by and large pretty darn entertaining. Um, I, I think in many ways it's a lot of fun. Uh, the monsters are represented very, very well, especially King Ghidorah. That's my favorite incarnation of the kaiju. I not only love the look of it, I love the personality. Uh, mm-hmm. One of my biggest complaints for many years up until this movie came out was that I never believed King Ghidorah. And I'm not talking about um, Kaiser Ghidorah or anything like that, but I'm talking about King Ghidorah. I always thought that actual incarnation of the character did not deserve the title of Godzilla's arch nemesis because it seemed like in a lot of the Toho films, he just never really was a match for yeah, Godzilla. It just, it just felt more or less to be Mechagodzilla being his arch nemesis. Yeah, and I still believe that in many respects. But I thought this version of King Ghidorah finally you know it did it like you finally had a version of king Ghidorah that i think is the best version of king Ghidorah, in my opinion not just in terms of looks but really its personality and in how majestically powerful it is that this king Ghidorah not only can handle its own against godzilla but it can overtake him as well. That's what I've always wanted out of the King Ghidorah character specifically. And here we finally got that. And I've always loved that. Um, I still have some issues with some of the story. The insertion of the oxygen destroyer is very clumsy. Um, uh, some of the character work is hit and miss i wish we could have gotten more of that um jonah guy uh in uh, godzilla versus kong but oh well uh i wish too we would have had more of rodan and mothra involved in the film as well uh but i've grown to really enjoy and respect this movie more than i did three years ago so that's my number three of the year awesome so on to number two on our list here for my number two for this year and i just watched it uh recently i think it's uh for the first time i think um it's uh king comforts godzilla the japanese version (laughs) that made it that high that quick well yeah because (laughs) <laughs> I I thought I thought to myself that after many years of just watching the Americanized version of this exact movie here and popping uh, the Japanese version for the very first time, thanks to Criterion Collection uh, here, and after watching it, I tell you, it's it's basically night and day uh, when it came to both movies obviously as well as when it came to the whole story leading up to certain events how things made much more sense in the original version of uh king Kong versus godzilla and after uh watching uh after seeing this movie and just uh, comparing both uh, the American version as well as the original Japanese version, it's like there's just really no uh, there's just really no 
competition between the two. And I remember uh, texting you one of the times when I was watching the American version of uh, King Kong vs. Godzilla uh, for uh, one of our discussions that we're going to have uh, here in a little bit since it's, it's uh, what was it, uh, 60th anniversary uh this year it's like boy this one scientist here is is just really a jerk or prick or i can't uh exactly remember what i mentioned about uh this i think uh dr johnson or something uh that he was called but i can't i can't quite remember why i called him <laughs> and then he was like yeah yeah i know <laughs> i was like yeah he's a real asshole <laughs> <laughs> By the way, while we're on the subject, and I know we're going to talk about it later, I just want to make one comment on Criterion's release of this film. Because when I watched it in preparation for this podcast, I thought the um, lighting of the film was really dark. I had moments, especially during the night scenes, of distinguishing certain things that were going on, like on Faro Island and all that. That – I think the presentation of the Japanese cut by Criterion for this release was pretty poor in terms of the lighting. For for me, I didn't really experience that. The only thing that made me a little bit disappointed when it came to the Criterion version was the audio. The audio, particularly when it came to the speaking type of audio from the characters and many others is that it was pretty low it was yeah, pretty think, low for um, that and then and then when it came to hearing the sound effects and everything it was pretty stark contrast well and i've noticed that with just even modern day blu-ray releases and i think it's part of putting a blu-ray together in which i think a lot of these companies assume that people have surround sounds that too, uh, systems yeah. which i don't think that many people have surround sound systems but i think what they assume is that because you got surround sound you'll, you're going to be able to pick up on this and for the exciting adrenaline moments you know we're going to definitely turn it up a bit more but yeah i've noticed that too like i've noticed that with a lot of modern day blu-ray releases of even recent films it annoys but, the hell out of me oh well, although i didn't quite experience it with a lot of the movies i have on hand i think this is the only movie that i have noticed where the audio is probably the lowest that i've heard of it i've experienced worse yeah and i mean i just it's it's disappointing that's why i still keep dvds and once in a while still buy dvds because dvds don't have that problem uh it's always with blu-rays because i think they're just like oh everybody's got surround sound i'm like i bet 10 percent of the population has surround sound <laughs> like but, not that many <laughs> but nevertheless the original version is to king kong first godzilla by far is much more superior compared to the americanized butchered version of the same exact film so that is my number two for 2022 all right my number two is similar to one of yours you just had earlier it's technically a non-kaiju but we're considering stuff like this now in our uh in our discussions now my number two is jurassic world dominion um 
I really do like this movie. I, I understand why some people are very frustrated with it, but a lot of people are making more out of the um, locust than they actually should uh, because not only recently did I watch the theatrical cut, I have seen the extended cut handful of times since it it was released on the home video and in both versions i i actually didn't think the locust storyline really didn't play out as extensive as many people say it does um it just doesn't i i think a lot of people are wrong when they say that um and at the same time, I think it is still a unique subplot anyways because the, the locusts were injected with Cretaceous-era uh, DNA. And yeah, insects, if you know your prehistory, insects used to be fucking huge way back in the day. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's it, I know people want dinosaur dinosaurs, and I don't necessarily blame them for that. But I think to people bitch and moan about the locust thing, I think is just not only unfounded, but just really off base. Um, but on top of that, too, yeah, I would say my biggest complaint is I was hoping for more dinosaurs out in the world and seeing how they were interacting with local wildlife and people and cities and other places too and we kind of got a montage of that with the was it now this uh segment that played uh in the movie but i think this is a really fun film i think it's really well acted i listened to the score actually to this uh about a week and a half ago and it's a very wonderful score by michael giacano who did the first jurassic world i think he even did fallen kingdom as well i'm not entirely sure on that one yeah i know i've heard the name before because i know he's scored a few other uh movies that I've seen, you probably have seen uh, in the past too. And I think he might have composed one of the video games. I think it was uh, Mercenaries. I think that's probably where I first heard of him before. Oh, gosh, if I not something about that else. Game. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about Love that, that game, by the way. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think the dinosaur action, by and large, is pretty good. Uh, the Malta scene is fun um um i i do wish though this is my biggest complaint that i've had throughout all the jurassic world movies minus jurassic world a little bit just because we the uh, the indominus in that one but i wanted to see more giant carnivore action in jurassic world i want to see more t-rex action same thing with fallen kingdom in this one, I want to see both more T-Rex and Giganotosaurus uh, action, and I I don't know why they don't do more of that because you know that's what a lot of us want to see are the giant carnivores. Um, why they kind of continue to skimp out on that um, is beyond me. I, I don't really understand that because I was really hoping to see. Um, you know more action involving those two um and my even bigger complaint about the film was that unlike jurassic world the final fight for this one i thought they did a terrible job of really focusing on the giganotosaurus t-rex fight they spent too much time on the characters trying to escape and with the exception of two brief shots and then the final final part of that fight it's all focused on the humans and the dinosaurs are in the background. And I'm like, 
why like i don't care if you show a little bit of the humans as they're trying to escape but show us clear full-on view of the t-rex and the giganotosaurus going at it like give us that like what they did with jurassic world and for whatever reason other than two brief moments and then the very final like kill moment they didn't do that and i was very disappointed by it because it's done by Colin Trevorrow who did Jurassic World and they didn't shy away from showing you the T-Rex and Dominus fight uh, in that one and for whatever reason I, I think he screwed up with this Giganotosaurus T-Rex fight and I just I wanted to see more of, of that and instead it's relegated to the background um, I was you know even though I liked the characters part of me was like fuck the characters i want to see these dinosaurs <laughs> fight it out over here like that's what i came to see i knew i was going to get a t-rex giganotosaurus fight i want to see that and so i just you know it, it just was disappointing on that front like i could handle the minimal t-rex giganotosaurus action in the movie if they had given me the full-blown fight and they didn't do that. And I would say for me that was the biggest disappointment. But still in the grand scheme of things, I think Dominion was a very fun film. I thought it was by and large a pretty appropriate ending uh, for now to this series. And I did enjoy it. I think it's a lot better than people give it credit for. Great effects work. The dinosaurs have never looked better. And um, I think it was a good send-off too for the legacy characters as well. Although Ian Malcolm was a as annoying as hell i i thought his character was unbearable this time like i've been i, I was very annoyed by <laughs> jeff goldblum's ian malcolm here because i just thought it was nothing more than him cracking jokes it was like watching a marvel superhero movie i i just i'm like <laughs> no i don't want this <laughs> like, like you know but like you know, there it is. But by and large, I think Dominion was a lot of fun. I've watched it, including theatrically. I think I've watched it like seven, eight times this year. So I've really enjoyed it. So Dominion is my uh, second favorite movie of the year. So before I move on to my number one, I've got at least a couple honorable mentions that I just want to shout out. And as we mentioned earlier, weren't able to do uh, this uh, especially year-end episode last year due to me being sick and everything. So I thought I would at least bring uh, mention two movies uh, from last year that I think it was at least uh, noteworthy to bring, at least for here. Uh, my first one, uh, it's a surprising one. To both Ken and I, when we saw and reviewed this movie. Oh, I think I know where this is going. Galgameth. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> this, if if we would have done the uh, year in Kajupalooza episode last year, this would have been my number one uh, movie because it basically not only surprised me but Kent as well with the presentation to it, the human characters, the story, and uh, Galgameth, even the visual effects and the music too. It, to me, it was the surprising movie uh, for me uh, now and last year. 
uh, sort of like a rampage a few or so years ago. And it's kind of going, it's a basic um, rendition of the uh, the North Korean film Polgassery, which I believe, I think it was, this movie was made by the same guy, but wanted to tell it sort of in a different light. Sort reboot it in a way. But uh, in my eyes, far superior <laughs> than Polgassery. Big surprise. Really enjoyed the characters, the, uh, the plot, uh, the visuals for what it was back when it was released in 96. There, it's... And some of the practical effects that they did for that too, just outstanding really surprise film galgameth and then um i i, I want to say i still remember the build-up to that when one of us picked it i picked and it. we were just like <laughs> and then we were just like oh here we go like that was that was you <laughs> yeah but you you didn't i was think, i was didn't think it was gonna more, be much of anything i was sort of in the middle of the road on it but we were just like, okay, it's going to be one of those, and let's just get it done, get it over with. And then we actually do the recording. That was really good. Like, <laughs> I thought it was going to be this shitty movie, but it yeah. actually was really good. And we were just like singing its praises up and down during that podcast. I was wrong. I thought this was going to be a terrible movie. Yeah. <laughs> this is amazing you have to go see it like it's not bad it's actually good <laughs> yeah really the mo one of the most surprising films that we have ever seen uh, and then obviously uh the second honorable mention would obviously have to be godzilla versus khan uh, for me on this one, this this one pr would have been a close second or probably tied up with uh, Galgameth on this one. Really enjoyed uh, the characters and the fights in this one. It was just a nonstop uh, action packed film throughout uh, compared to the other two or three, if you count uh, Skull Island uh, for that matter. And then uh, the visual effects, really outstanding. I really like the uh, the appearance or the presentation of Mechagodzilla in the MonsterVerse here. Really formidable, just like when it came to uh, Ghidorah and also comparing this Mechagodzilla to the other iterations of Mechagodzilla uh, throughout the franchise really formidable uh, compared to Godzilla close you know com uh, not only the uh, the Heisei Godzilla was close to killing uh, Godzilla back then this one was close to killing Godzilla in this movie uh, as well and also liked Khan in this one uh not a whole lot of changes, but you can still see some of the subtle changes in this. Also love the story uh, in uh, this movie as well. So both Galgameth and Godzilla vs. Khan, my two honorable mentions in that one. So now my number one uh, movie for this one. And I think this one is also 
probably the first time watching it. Probably not. I think I might have seen it uh, several years ago when you showed it to me. But uh, after seeing it uh, recently, The Return of Godzilla. Oh, the Japanese okay. version. The Japanese one? Yep. Just, again, like when it came to uh, uh, the Americanized version of King Kong vs. Godzilla, same thing here. Uh, comparing the Americanized version of Godzilla 1985 with uh, the return of Godzilla here is just night and day. You can't really compare <laughs> the two. Japanese version just makes much more sense compared to the other one. Although when it came to the uh, 1985 one, it's really nice to at least see Raymond Burr return as his original character from the uh the americanized version of godzilla king of the monsters back in uh, 1955 there for one last time it's just kind of that nice member berries uh sort of thing to it member berries it's sort of a, a south park joke thing um oh my god <laughs> you'll you'll have to type it up um but uh, when it came to the, the original Japanese version of the return of Godzilla here, a lot of the story character arcs, uh, everything just makes much more sense. Whereas some of the uh, sequences, when it came to this one sister, the one uh, uh, guy where she looked pissed and you didn't get any uh, explanation in the Americanized uh, version, whereas in the original version, you definitely get to know the reason why she was pissed against this one guy and everything. It's a really good movie. The music to this one is much more better um, when they replaced it for the American version. There, although, um, well, yeah, there were some moments where I thought music was absent that I thought the American version did just a little bit better because there were a lot of quiet moments, whereas the American version added some extra music that I thought provided more oomph to some scenes. Well, I think when it came to maybe not having some of the music in those instances, it sort of kind of gives it that more creepy vibe, which I know that they were trying to go with for uh, this film here. And, and I think it really worked in that regard. So the Japanese version of The Return of Godzilla, my number one for 2022. Yeah, I also got to add, uh, you know, honorable mention of the Godzilla versus Kong. I watched it 18 times on HBO Max during its initial uh, one month um, release when it came out in theaters and all that. Um, and then since then, I've watched it a bunch more times. I think in total, from the moment it came out all the way to this point, I think I've seen the movie close to 30 times <laughs> in like about a year and a half. So, um, again, like I said earlier, at the, you know, in, in, earlier in this podcast, it, it's not exactly the movie I would have made. Uh, there are some things I would have done differently, but it's still a very entertaining film. It, it, it's definitely entertaining, flawed, but entertaining. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, that's got to be an honorable mention for me. So my number one movie outside of Godzilla vs. Kong is the movie I've watched the most over the last year and a half. And this is a movie that um, for a while it, – it, this should not surprise anybody as to what it's going to be um, when I reveal it here in just a second. What, what is but it? Tell me now! It's a new – it's the new venue at G Fest. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but this is a movie that is one of my all time favorites that for a period of time sort of in the two thousands I watched once in a great while and part of that was because it is a pretty decently long film and it takes up a little bit of your time. But over the last year and a half I've watched the movie like about nine or ten times, and I find that it's a breezy watch. And I think it's just one of those things that when you watch a movie so many times, you're familiar with it, and it tends to feel like it's going by a lot more quickly than you think it is. And my number one movie of the year is the 98 Godzilla. (laughs) I Who would have thought? I mean, I've always loved this movie, of course, but I really have been watching it like crazy for the last year and a half. Every time I watch, I'm like, I want to watch it again. I really just love this movie. I love the character work. I love the design of this Godzilla. Um, I, I, I just I love everything about it. Yeah, some of the effects work is a bit choppy in a couple spots, but by and large it's aged well it's still a fun movie at some point i would like to have a podcast episode on why i do believe this movie is not only one of the best godzilla movies and a deeper godzilla movie than what many people uh, believed it but i think it's a movie that also deserves uh, more people's respect as well because the more i've watched it over the last year and a half the more i have found certain themes within this movie that i think are really very important and some themes that have never really been um, discussed or even uh, attempted in other Godzilla movies uh, as well. So at some point, I hope to have uh, you know a podcast episode dedicated to discussing that about this movie. Um, but I love it. I, I mean, this is David Arnold's score is incredible. I do like the actual soundtrack to it as well. I love it. I, I mean, this is a movie that. By the way, which it, it's still baff. Which uh, which what? uh, which soundtrack the the actual score or the ones with the various both. <laughs> I said I like this. I like the score. To me, the score is just the music. The soundtrack is when you have the songs. <laughs> just want to make sure. <laughs> I like both. That's all you need to know is I like both. <laughs> but um, um. I just I, I still don't quite understand people's hatred of this movie. I don't quite get it. I can understand some people maybe being disappointed <clears throat> and things of that sort, but the sheer amount of hatred and vitriol that this movie has gotten for almost a quarter of a decade, I mean a quarter of a century, um, it, I, I just I still find so baffling. I, I don't quite get it. And I think it's one of the more fun, charismatic interesting creative godzilla movies out there and even though i'm very grateful that we have this movie i'm still every time i watch this i still feel incredibly saddened by the fact we never got 
the planned trilogy because the planned trilogy sounded like it was going to be a huge blast and i i just i'm forever disappointed within the fan group um the fact that they couldn't get past uh, some silliness and and just differences in aesthetics that it even though the movie was profitable because of the fact that the fan outrage was what it was we never got that trilogy and uh to sit stand on my soapbox for a second for the amount of passion people seem to have for movies i wish was the same amount of passion people took when it came to doing things like doing good in our communities and doing things like voting and doing things like that and making changes in this world whereas it seems like more people are willing to spend all this energy on bring back the Snyderverse and going out hating on the 98 Godzilla movie and things like that it just um, it's very sad I think it's a very sad commentary on humanity and we all should be ashamed of ourselves so <laughs> I'm getting off my soapbox here uh, from my PSA but 98 Godzilla movie um, is my favorite of 2022. By the way, nothing wrong with the Snyderverse because I really liked <laughs> the betrayal of those. No, I do too. It's, <laughs> no, I do too. It's just that um, Snyder with a comment he made, I think it was earlier this year, and then a lot of his followers and how they've treated a lot of people um, over the last like year and a half or so, um, I, I, I really – it pisses me off. And I have problems with those people. It's the people that I have the problems with um, more than anything else. So here we are. We're going to enter now a lot of anniversary discussions of various films here. Um, I ended up doing a little bit more than Jason did. and um, But we're going to do ours. Uh, I also want to let people know that – Sadly, I didn't finish all the films, but I have a very good recollection of all of them. Same. And I wrote up final thoughts on all the movies that I did watch, which I just want to warn everybody are kind of long, so bear with me on that. And the other ones, I'm going to wing it. (laughs) Um, But uh, I got quite a bit to say about most of these movies in a general sense. But we want to – as we're discussing these movies, we're not only sort of re-reviewing them – we also want to try to do the best we can to sort of talk about their significance, if at all, within the larger scope of not just maybe the Godzilla era when it's a Godzilla movie or even the Gamera series if it's a Gamera movie, but maybe tokusatsu in general. So, Jason, because I did more than you did, I'm not entirely sure exactly all that you are wanting to discuss. So why don't you pick um, the movie – and then we'll go from there. Well, I know I mentioned to you is uh, some of the movies that I did manage to watch before, yeah. But um, the most recent one out of those that I last watched was uh, King Kong Escapes. So maybe why don't we try starting off with that? Okay. Yeah. Um, so you know. 
this is and this is the 55th anniversary yep. of that particular movie. A lot of and a lot of um, 55th anniversaries for a majority of them that are yeah. left here. <laughs> Yeah. And I remember when I initially first saw this movie, I was like, okay, it's kind of a silly, corny movie. It definitely has that rank and bass element to it. You got Paul Freeze, who has been known to do a lot of voice uh, acting for the stop motion ones, which, by the way, if you've seen the 51 thing from another world, he's in that movie. Um, and and but, another uh, fun fact, too, with this being a uh, rank and bass production. Most of their stuff, including the Christmas stuff in the animated cartoons that they've done, are all produced in Japan as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's 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 the one thing I want to point out. <laughs> but yeah, like my initial thoughts back in the day when I first saw this movie, which would have been I think two thousand five, I was like, it's fine. You know, I was hoping for something a little bit more spectacular than what I got. Um, but it's fine. As the years have gone on, I've come to really enjoy this for the silliness that it is. Um, but this is a movie that um, I think over 55 years, especially within the kaiju fandom, seems like it's building up momentum in terms of uh, popular. And I think part of that, though, too, is the fact that Linda Miller herself has been out there more prominently yeah, yeah. Uh, in recent more. years doing conventions and things like that. Yeah, more recently. And it's bringing I think, that movie more to the forefront. Yeah, I think since her first appearance after many, many years over at GFest, I forget which one in particular. Um, I think it might have been the second to last or the last one before the whole pandemic uh, came about. That's when it, it, I would say when the films starting to get more popularity particularly amongst uh, the whole fan group yeah and this is a film that I like the fact though that at least the Kong suit looks a little bit better than it did in King Kong versus Godzilla um, although I would say a bit differently when it came to the head part <laughs> I would say differently when it got into water <laughs> <laughs> like when a battle that, that too, serpent. Yeah. I still think, yeah. by the way, I still think one of the funniest things I have ever seen in a, in a classic golden era, <laughs> like Toho um, uh, kaiju movie. And I think it was a, not supposed to be funny, but it came off as funny. Was when uh, you know our three main characters are trying to get off Mondo Island back to the submarine. That sea it. serpent <laughs> is crawling by, and Kong throws a rock, and it just inadvertently smacks the sea serpent. It's just it's like the sea serpent is just minding its own business. It wasn't doing anything, and then boom, and then it's like. Kong has to go out and fight him. I'm like, Kong, you jerk. You're the one who disturbed the sea serpent. It was doing nothing but minding its own business. Like, <laughs> That's done. <laughs> but um, I just thought it's one of the more unintentionally funny moments uh, in kind of the, the classic era of kaiju movies. Um, but this is a film that... I've grown to appreciate more. I, I've appreciated more of the set design. Uh, a lot of the set pieces, I think, are done 
enormously well. I think they even do a very good job of hiding like the wheels on the hover car. I think it was on rails when they had it go onto the yeah. actual and island. I think, I think it was actually just mainly on rails, particularly when they were uh, turning that uh, vehicle around and then heading towards the ocean. That was definitely like on a mechanic yeah. sort of rail device. Yeah. And it's just a lot of fun. I, I, I just, again, as I've gotten older, and I think I've mentioned this on the show a couple of times in the past, when I sort of had a resurgence in my fandom back in late 2011, and especially in the early part of 2012, I found that a number of the movies from years past that I thought were maybe too goofy or silly were movies that I really started falling in love with. And it's because I think not only was I older, um, but also because real world responsibilities were creeping in more. And when think you know, when life begins to get serious, you're kind of looking for more escapism. And even if it's kind of corny material as well, and a lot of the cornier, sillier, sometimes childlike monster movies were the ones I enjoyed the most because it allowed me to escape from the super serious humdrum of everyday life that I had been experiencing for quite a while there. It's sort of like I had forgotten to get in touch with that fun side uh, of myself. And I began to really enjoy such movies more like um, Gija the Thing You Had a Monster, for example, was one that for many years, I was like, nah, this thing isn't really all that good. It's not as great as people claim it to be. And then I started watching it again after my resurgence. And I'm like, okay, like the quality of the film sadly still lacks because they were churning – like uh, Honda churned out like three of these monster films in the year of 64 and as you saw each one the quality kind of dipped a little bit because of just how quick toho was wanting him to crank those out that year but i'm like i actually enjoy this more than i initially did years ago i say i think this movie is more exciting and king kong escapes kind of falls into that territory i didn't necessarily dislike it to the degree that i did ghidra at one point but i was kind of like eh you know it's kind of forgettable take it or leave it sort of thing and now i'm like this is fun yeah it's silly it's goofy in many ways it makes no sense when you really think about it on some levels but it's fun and there is good set design here. The um, miniature work is done really well too. The score is fun. Uh, I like seeing Rhodes Reason. I've seen his brother Rex in a few um, sci-fi movies like This Island Earth and the third Creature from the Black Lagoon movie. They both sound the same and look similar. Um, and then Akira Takarada is good. Linda Miller, for whatever reason, she was dubbed um <laughs> in the movie and, um, and also just want to point in there is the dub just doesn't quite do her much justice especially and i know with the script too i'm not sure how she sounded originally but just kind of that childish tone that the dubber had when it came to talking to con and stuff it would have been interesting to hear what uh, Linda Miller actually sounded like when she was talking 
to him. Although, you know, with the lip reading and stuff, it's still sort of the same, but <laughs> we'll have to it see. It was very dull in presentation and kind of monotone as well for the most yeah. part. Did yeah. you have stuff to add here to King Kong Escapes? Yeah. Um, and when it came to this film, uh, the the villain, the human villain, Doctor Who himself, it it just felt like kind of your typical uh, sort of Rankin Bass uh, sort of uh, villain, you know, with with it being produced by Rankin Bass, it just sort of ooze Doctor Who sort of oozed that sort of uh, Rankin Bass villain uh, villainous as well as uh, some of uh, and I think the dub whoever dubbed him sounded very Paul familiar because it's it, yeah because Paul Freeze I, I think um, he did one of the characters I've some of the memorable He did the burger Meister Meister burger and Santa Claus is coming to town oh, okay yeah um, yeah 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 I mean, he did a lot of the villains in those Rankin Bass um, Christmas specials. Yeah, but uh, uh, Doctor Who, I forget the guy's name who uh, does the character. Ace Yamamoto. Yeah, he he's really good in a lot of these uh, kaiju uh, films, even up to his uh, last one, which was GMK, although overall not really a good film <laughs> really an overrated film um he does an amazing job in this and i i keep on forgetting the guy who's uh hayata and ultraman he's also in here even even uh i Susumu didn't realize Kurobe, i think is his name i think so and i didn't realize he he was also in uh, the 92 Godzilla vs. Matha, which we're going to be talking yeah, about. As a general. Uh, here. Um, but, side point, um, I really like uh, the whole uh, Doctor Who part in this one, as well as the story plot, trying to get uh, Element X with Mechanicon, but uh, with tremendous radiation uh, Mechanicon couldn't keep up with it, so with the plot device of getting Khan and then thus the name of the whole movie, Khan Escapes, and it goes into Japan and all that, and then Doctor Who and this uh, one gal who's uh, kind of a, a monarch to this one country, I, I think. Um, try to go... She's an industrial spy. I, I forget the actress. It's either... I think it's Akiko Wakabayashi or Mihama. I, I get those two mixed up. But I know that. She, I think it's Mihama. I actually. think so. Um, they tried to uh, get Khan back to do, you know, try to uh, mine Element X in here, uh, which Element X is kind of. Um, oh, what's, what's the. What's that specific name for um, radiation? No, 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 no. Radioactive. No. Uh, it's it's a type of thing that uh, moves the story slash plot 
MacGuffin. Plot device? MacGuffin. Oh, MacGuffin. Uh, so it kind of a the whole element, <laughs> the whole element X is the basically the MacGuffin for uh, this movie uh, here. So really, you know, interesting um, characters in this. Uh, movie uh, didn't care much for some of the dubs in here, specifically Linda Miller's, which, like what Ken said, not sure why <laughs> why oh, she was uh, dubbed in this, ship. <laughs> why she was dubbed in this one, and then as well as uh, Goro Source, even though he wasn't in here for very long, uh, at least. Uh, uh, a good uh, bout between him and Khan. It's sort of kind of your traditional Khan versus T-Rex sort of trope that we've seen in the very first Khan movie uh, and then as well as the 2005 uh, version. Kind of ends up in the same way where Khan opens and st- stretches the mouth up to a certain point breaks where the jaw. breaks the jaw and everything. So yeah. Well, I'm going to go into my final thoughts here on this film. King Kong Escapes used to be a movie I would find mildly enjoyable, but a step or two down from the entertainment value that I believe the Godzilla movies of the same period provided. With time and life showing that it's pretty crappy a lot of the time, the childlike family entertainment the film provides is one that I can wholeheartedly endorse, despite some real silly and nonsensical story points. Watching this also made me feel heavy in heart seeing uh, Akira Takarada. Personally, I don't think it has yet to fully sink in with me that he has passed, which we forgot to even talk about in the year in review, actually, which amazes me. <laughs> uh, for so many years, I had taken for granted him being around, being indestructible, and yet his passing is very, uh, was very abrupt in that we only found out a day or two after he had actually passed. He had been sick for a while and then poof he was gone i don't believe many of us knew he was sick as for the movie there is a, a bit of the Rankin bass era about the movie and how its story is told while maintaining much of the trademark toho look we come to recognize with many other kaiju flicks not everything here is good or even great but it is fun i know many people seem to be on this bandwagon of hating against this phrase of turn your brain off entertainment but i think this is indeed that kind of entertainment nor do I find issue with entertainment for the sake of entertainment. Life is difficult and depressing enough. Why do we need all of our entertainment to be deep, meaningful, and or commentary on life itself? Having something fun and silly to distract us from the humdrum glums of life is needed in order to not go insane and to drive yourself into some dark, dark mindset that is difficult to recover from. To those who think otherwise, I say, get over yourselves. You're not deep nor sophisticated. You're simply a game narcissist with a huge ego and lots of insecurities. You only wish to control how people think and feel. Back to the movie now. King Kong escapes the fun time. I must say that for nearly nine years I've come to appreciate the movie more including its silly premises. For those who have yet to check out King Kong escapes, I heartily endorse it and believe most will find something to enjoy about the movie. Hmm. Awesome. Well, probably touch upon it a little bit more in my 
final thoughts. It's a pretty enjoyable movie um, with the human characters. Um, and then you get Mechanicon uh, in here. Uh, Con in here is pretty good, minus uh, my differences on the head <laughs> of, of the suit. You're stuck on that. <laughs> um, I mean, it's sort of obvious. <laughs> <laughs> I it's, think when it gets wet is where the problems occur. <laughs> that too. But um, other other than that little nitpick, um, the story, the practical effects, human characters or casts, um, and the presentation for uh, con escapes, they're uh, pretty good. Uh, I would say the more outstanding one from the rest would be the practical effects. Uh, and here is just, you know, still Toho-esque uh, practical effects in here that we get. We don't get too many uh, visual effects uh, in this movie since, I mean, don't really need it when it comes to uh, the participating kaiju uh, in here. So, uh, Con Escapes is kind of your typical middle of the road uh, film that's uh, can always be enjoyed with from uh, time to time, in my opinion. So, but uh, the one thing I just want to uh, point out, uh, just a side note, it, I think I might know what's going on with uh, your audio when it kind of starts to. Uh, uh, go in and out a little bit. I think it's when you bring up the word doc on your end because your audio has been really good for most of the time except for maybe the times when I mute. It'll kind of do the same thing for maybe about a couple of seconds and then goes up. But when you bring up your word doc, I think it's has something to do with it. Well, I need that. <laughs> I need well, maybe, that. maybe, maybe just print them, print, print those out. <laughs> I don't want to kill trees here. Uh, maybe what here? What I'll try to do in our next one that we cover here, I'll instead of it full page, what I'll do is I'll have it to where it like shrinks to like half a page. See if that does anything. Uh, so I don't you, know. Uh, <laughs> we'll we'll try it. See if that helps. Uh, so, um, again, like I said, because I did more than you, um, this movie we're going to discuss an anniversary of. Um, let's do the uh, 30th anniversary of Godzilla versus Mothra. All right. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I am excited about this movie because here's the thing. Uh, there's a there's a kind of a theme going on here. I would say I'm also at least ex uh, excited for this one too because this is the first time that I've actually watched it with the original Japanese audio. Ah, uh, see, I didn't do that. But um, here's the thing: like when I first saw this movie, like back in '98, um, I thought it was fine. I, I thought it was an okay film uh, and all that. I was like, it's fine. Uh, it's not spectacular or anything else. But then again, over the last, you know, eight to ten years, I've watched this movie more frequently than I used to. And on top of that, again, 
just being older and being able to appreciate nuances and storytelling and all that, I've been able to pick up on things that I didn't when I first saw this, like 16, 18, however many years ago. Oh, and I like this movie an awful lot. I The human characters are ones I have fallen the most in love with about this movie. The main character, and I forget the actor's name, he is fantastic in this movie. Not only does he act really well, his character is written stupendously. Are you talking about the, uh, the as main well. lead? Yes. His last name, I want to say, is Beso. Yeah, let me, let me like look that, that up. Um, but um, we also get the uh, actor who is the main character in Godzilla 2000 as well. I forget his name, too. And I had once at one point remembered it. But our main character and his wife in this movie have incredible chemistry. You get the butting of the heads between these two. So what I think it's uh, the main character's name is uh, Tetsuya Besho. Yeah, Tetsuya. So that's the it's the character's name, not the actor, right? Or is that the that's actor's, the actor's name? name? Okay, Tetsuya. I'll just call him Tetsuya. And the gal who plays his wife, they have incredible chemistry. They butt heads so well, even though it may be silly in parts. But it's done really well. You get this idea that they truly despise each other. And then the funny guy who works for, um, oh, that one corporation that's tearing down all the trees and digging up the planet. Um, oh, what? What's? I forget the corporation's uh, name. I think, but uh, let, um, me, let me look that here. Uh, just keep going here. Um, but this cast of Ma- characters. Marutomo. The Maritomo, yes. Maritomo Company. Um, This cast of characters is incredible. And what I find funny in myself is that I didn't realize for a number of years that Akira Takarada was. I didn't realize that. He was almost almost slightly unrecognizable. And and I keep forgetting uh, the other guy who who plays as uh, kind of the. the captain in the uh, the science patrol in the uh, the Ultraman show, and then uh, and is also uh, was it oh, common writer. I forget the yes, same forget him here. Name yeah, Kamen but he's writer. also in there too. Yeah, but he is inc- he's goofy in Godzilla versus King Ghidorah, and he's even more goofy here because there have been t- there's moments in this movie where it's after Godzilla shows up and has been on screen and he even at one point says oh no Godzilla what are we going to do and then a couple minutes later he picks up the phone what Godzilla Godzilla's back and, <laughs> all of a sudden now he's and, surprised that Godzilla's back and also back. one of the other memorable um, sequences in this film is that whole uh uh, turning table in that uh, central command center where both uh, Takarada and the other, uh, the same guy there, uh, too, they just stand there for the entire time when that just slowly rotates around until it stops right at the front of the screen where they were uh, at, and then, and then just walk up a few steps. <laughs> 
And you and I have always been like, dude, you would have been there like three times yeah. sooner if you had just walked. <laughs> the, it's so funny because it's so dramatic yet unintentionally yeah. funny. <laughs> and he makes a funny face at one point too, like three monsters. What are we gonna do now? And, and the <laughs> other, and the other crazy thing too is that when that big screen in that main command center uh, with a whole early 90s visual effects you know zooming in on the map of japan there and then like it goes right down to this 3d model of a very poorly rendered look of uh, yokohama there and then all of a sudden like it just goes all the way over yonder to close to mount fuji with the the um thermal reading of godzilla it's like why don't you just zoom it right all the way down to Mount Fuji where Godzilla is instead of all the way down to Yokohama and then going all the way down that way. <laughs> because it makes too much try, try sense. Trying to, try to, try to make it more <laughs> cinematic or uh, action thrillers sort of thing. And look, I mean, that's one of the things I've grown to really love about this movie too is that while it's really good and well-written in various parts it's also incredibly ridiculous in others and one of the things and this happens almost in every single movie involving mothra you have some sort of callback to like the original mothra movie and so that i don't necessarily care for either but i mean it's gotta happen i guess you know where she turns into her um, adult form but this movie is by and large, I think, a lot better than people realize. I know in Japan it was the highest grossing uh, Heisei film, and rightfully so because Mothra uh, was very popular with the female audience at the time, um, and that was a huge draw to this film. And um, I, I look at this movie, and I'm not saying it's the best that the Heisei series has to offer, but it's better than what we Western fans have given this film. There is very good character work and character arcs in this film. The kaiju action is done really well. I will say sadly, though, that the um, marionettes for both the adult forms of Mothra and Batra, and maybe Batra even more so, are too stiff. Uh, yeah, that's was, kind of the unfortunate part. Yeah, that was one one of the things I wanted to mention about is that the Batra marionette is really really stiff just only the head obviously the wings and then maybe some of the legs just moved there but it just seemed really robotic for a majority of the time the mothra one to me didn't quite have much of a problem with because it seemed to be more animated there probably the only thing i would say just seemed uh stiff were just the leg parts of Mothra. Other than that, it just seemed to be much more animated compared to the Batra marionette. Yeah. And for 30 years, you know, I remember when we were at a G-Fest five, year, five or so years ago where they were doing the 25th anniversary of this film. And I think over 30 years, it's unfortunate. I think maybe with the exception of the return of Godzilla and Godzilla versus Biolane, it seems to me that most of the Heisei era has been forgotten by a lot of the fan base, which is 
very unfortunate because I think there are not only some incredible moments within the Heisei era, I think too that there are some good movies in the Heisei era. Yeah, you may mm. not necessarily get some of the charm necessarily um like you would get with some of the classic uh toho films but i think on the one hand you don't want every movie to be the same now i know some people would disagree with me on that hence going back to godzilla king of the monsters 2019 in which it's an americanized version of a classic toho godzilla film and all that um you know you don't want the same thing because it gets dull after a while and Godzilla versus Mothra, even when the Heisei era is being discussed, is once again still kind of glossed over. And I think that's too bad because I think this film has some of the best character work, not just of the Heisei era, but of the entire saga. I still think the character work is maybe better in um, both the return of Godzilla, maybe even by Alane perhaps. But this film, I think does the best character work of any other movie, certainly uh, that comes after it. And I think it challenges at least by Alane on the level of great character work. And that's something that, and I know a lot of people would argue, well, we're not here for the humans. We're here for the monsters. Look, I get that. That's why I watch these movies too, but you can't have the monsters on screen all the time. Because then these movies can't get released theatrically. They can't make money if it's just showing monsters because then it becomes niche and you're not going to bring in enough people from a generalized audience to come in and give you money for the movie, etc. So you have to try to at least bring in halfway decent human characters. And when I've watched this movie in recent years, I've realized that the character work here is incredible it's not 100 percent perfect by any stretch of the imagination but it's certainly better than what you get out of most of the saga and i i really appreciate that about this movie and it's really entertaining the kaiju action by and large has done very well that yokohama battle at the end of the movie too i consider to be a classic part of it is because of just the the cinematography and the way it looks you have this towering building or two in the background and then you have that ferris wheel coming into play as well where Mm -hmm. i think it's just mothra comes in and bashes godzilla with it um it was i mean how can you forget it was uh it was batra that or batra yeah Yeah, how can you forget that it's so like that's never happened before and Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's uh the the human arc in this one is i mean if you compare it to uh godzilla versus king Ghidorah, released a year prior i mean in my opinion it's night and day even with some of the same characters returning you know some of the familiar faces i mean they do a much better performance in here this time around uh and then uh, the the new faces in here, they do a much better performance uh, in this movie and kind of give it a more uh, serious tone instead of kind of that more um, outlandish type of um, uh, performances compared to uh, the movie prior. Although, um, still forget the name of that uh, uh 
uh, one guy from the Ultraman series, the captain there. He still okay. kind of he still kind of does his little uh, outlandish, crazy type of performances there. But I think it's I think it's a tad bit uh, toned compared to uh, Ghidorah there. Well, and one thing I want to bring up. And I have been a huge advocate of this individual on this podcast since we've been doing it. Director Taco Akawara. This is his first Godzilla movie, and it'll be the first of four he will direct during his stint with with the Godzilla franchise. And I've always said Taco Akawara is, I think, one of the best and most underappreciated directors within this Godzilla saga. Um, he did this movie. He did the movie that came after this, Godzilla vs. My Godzilla 2, which is, I think, a phenomenal film. Um, he would also go to do Destroya, which is really good as well in many respects. And then uh, also Godzilla 2000, which I think is, is not only one of my favorites, I also think it's his best out of the four that he's done. And direction um, matters. And look, I, I don't want to crap on Kazuki Omori because he, you know, passed away here relatively recently. And in fact, too, he also, I think, directed um, Bailani, if I'm not mistaken, as well. Um, but I thought Omori's direction for King Ghidorah, and who knows, maybe um, Toho and or uh, Tomoyuki Tanaka may have had a hand in this as well. Uh, that movie seems like an anomaly within the Heisei era. I think in terms of tone, in terms of how the story is handled and the character work, it seems like it doesn't exactly fit in as well with the Heisei era like all the other ones do. And Space Godzilla seems a little off as well, but to me it seems more in line with the rest of the Heisei era than um, – King Ghidorah does, and and I've mentioned this before on the podcast a number of times as well. But um, Godzilla versus Mothra, with having Akawara his first time and all that, you really see his talents, uh, his ability to direct people and to put things together. Because when you look at the Heisei era as a whole, um, I think Akawara's films do tend to have some of the better characters. They're, that's not saying they're always great. I would argue Mechagodzilla 2's character development isn't quite as good as what it is here. Um, I would even argue to some degree the same goes for Destroya also. Um, and, and even Space Godzilla, which was directed by a, a different guy, I thought the character work there was relatively solid. Again, not perfect, but better than what most people give it credit for. And... Um, Akawara and I just think this film in particular need to be given another look by Western fans. This is a film that really does a lot of things right. It's a film that is pretty darn entertaining and and I think good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so other than that, should we just sort of go into final thoughts and then I was maybe thinking uh, – we can take at least a few minute uh, intermission. Sure. Uh, after that, and then kind of get right back into it. Sure.
Uh, let me go first because I want to check out this whole like half window word document thing. See how well this works okay. here. Let me try to find Godzilla versus Mothra on here on my notes here. Where did I put it? <clears throat> come on. Okay, there it is. Ah, come on. Okay. Director uh, Taco Akawara's debut into the Godzilla franchise is one that I would consider to be a hit. Not just in the sense that Godzilla vs. Mothra was the most popular and profitable of the Heisei-era films, but because the film is indeed pretty well made. Gone is the haphazard, drunk-on-monster-energy approach to storytelling that we ever that was ever present in Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah. Akawara, not just for this movie, but for the other three Godzilla films he will direct in the future, brings about a stability in production and storytelling that reigns in the Heisei era from devolving too much into the craziness the Showa era turned into after a while, but managed to put up a blockade from that occurring when Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah was released and made it appear the series was repeating the same direction. Not that I'm insulting the Showa era. In fact, it's my favorite of the eras. But I don't want every Godzilla film uh, era to try and mimic what came before it. Characters in Godzilla vs. Mothra are some of the best in the Heisei. They are well-rounded, and we get a good sense of who they are, what they've been through, and what their arc is. The character of Takuya feels like the most human out of dozens and dozens of characters from the Godzilla movies past and present. What I mean by this is he starts the film out as a thief of relics. He then attempts to clean up his act, but falls right back into thievery and attempting to make a living off it by trying to sell the cosmos. I cannot think of any other characters within the Godzilla universe that have ever been so human and multidimensional. Most characters in these films serve as types and stick to that or play a different type of role, but really don't deviate much, if at all, from that role. Takuya is the most human, dare I say, out of the entire Godzilla franchise. Akiji Kobayashi, who plays Yuzo and is probably most known for playing Captain Toshio Muramatsu in the Ultraman TV series, has another goofy performance here. In fact, it's even more goofy than in Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah. He is given some weird if not awful pieces of dialogue, and his character tends to overreact when anything happens. Nevertheless, Godzilla vs. Mothra delivers on a number of levels. The kaiju battles are superb. The miniatures are plenty and look great. And I'd even say Akira Ifukube's score is better than the previous movie. The adult Mothra and Batra marionettes are unfortunately too stiff, but I find that the Batra marionette suffers more so than Mothra's. A movie that I used to think was simply okay, Godzilla vs. Mothra has turned into one of my silent favorites of the franchise and the Heisei era. It has some flaws, but those flaws are very minimal and don't damn the movie anywhere near enough for me to even believe they hurt the film. Even 30 years later, Godzilla vs. Mothra is a movie that is very entertaining and filled with a lot of heart. Did that do any better? Yeah, that that did a whole lot better because it was clear all the way through, so... I think we found the culprit. Yeah, I told you it might work. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't sure at first. but That's what I said. I said I told you it might work. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so just have to remember that for next time, I guess. I probably won't. So <laughs> then we'll be like, why is this not working now? Well, I'll probably need to make a little note for myself. To Put a post-it on your monitor there. <laughs> or, or for yours. <laughs> Mine's but, a laptop. Uh, 
But anywho, um, yeah, this uh, particular uh, entry into the Heisei uh, series of Godzilla films here, it's uh, one of the better ones uh, in here uh, compared to... Uh, Obviously, Return of Godzilla, Bailane, and uh, what is it? Uh, Godzilla 2 and Destroya. Um, it's, yeah, it's just uh, one of the better entries, and then kind of a, a more revised or rebooted uh, storytelling of Mothra here, and as well as uh, the 64 version of the. Uh, the classic film, uh, Mothra vs. Godzilla here. Um, the uh, the music or the score for Akira Fukube when he did this is one of his best in here, along with uh, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2. Um, I would say pro- uh, I would say probably his best one uh, for that particular film, but uh, the human characters in here are really good. Kind of going uh, uh, off of your uh, humanization uh, portrayal of Tetsuya here. I really liked how the progression of the relationship between uh, him and his uh, former spouse, uh, Masako Tetsuka, in here where it, it was just kind of uh, a spar between t- the two and then just gradually progressed over time where they, you know, was kind of, you know, uh, make good amends between one another at the very end there. And, um, yeah, and then the guy who uh, portrays uh, the uh, the head guy of the uh, Morutomo uh, company there, he's really good uh, at portraying kind of your typical corporate uh, villain for, <laughs> for a particular movie that deals with the whole uh, Earth uh, scenario here. And um, the practical effects are really good in a lot of areas. There's some instances where it's like really outdated. Uh, um, uh, the, uh, the 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 video for the uh, very hung up on command that. room there <laughs> <laughs> for the command room, which really outdated there. Um, but the carousel uh, not- control panel. <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, the uh, majority of the visual effects, practical effects, um, some of the practicals mainly some of the buildings just seemed kind of uh, kind of uh, generic in a way that probably be one of my nitpicks just kind of a um, kind of your typical copy and paste sort of buildings here and there and some placements they just seemed a bit too generic for a movie like this it, it would have been nice if they were a bit more detailed in that regard. Uh, I would say the only, uh, the most detailed uh, miniature uh, building in this movie would have to be the the National Diet Building. Uh, when it came to the whole Mothra sequence, when it 
goes into its adult form there. But uh, nonetheless, um, and then, of course, the uh, the temple scene at the very beginning there. But uh, nevertheless, it's a really good rendition and a, a good retelling of the 1964 uh, classic for, I would say, more the newer generation at that time there. So, um, yeah, it's a really good uh, film, uh, good execution, really good cast, story, visual and practical effects, and um, uh, the suits for uh, the kaiju in this movie, although it should have been a little bit more animated, specifically Batra there but nonetheless uh, Godzilla vs. Mothra 92 version really good film alright so we're going to take a, another break here and then we will be yep. back after these messages from nobody All right. <laughs> from, from our uh, follow us everywhere overlay from my family to yours <laughs> Thank you, Rodrigo. Now, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> we continue. Indeed. So, um, why don't we start off with um, the 50th anniversary of Gigan? All right. Um, yeah. So, why don't you start us? Well, um, probably add a little bit more to my uh, top five list. I had this uh, film under um, with with the characters. It's it's kind of the uh, the unusual batch of characters that we don't really see much in uh, this franchise. I mean, obviously, with it being set in uh, the early part of the 70s here. You kind of have that uh, kind of obviously the 70s vibes on, well, but not comparing to the whole disco vibe from uh, Hedora. Yeah. Uh, for that <laughs> matter. But, um, but it the uh, the characters in here are pretty unique in here they kind of have a lot more personality uh compared to a lot of the other uh characters around this time period in the franchise uh here um and i would say a bit more colorful too even some of the uh, uh the two main villains uh in here too i really enjoyed majority of the characters in here and um 
for uh, the kaiju in this one. I know we uh, mentioned as far as the uh, the marionettes, uh, both Mothra and Batra being a bit too stiff here. Um, mainly Batra, for my opinion. When it came to uh, King Ghidorah in this one, they didn't really do a whole lot uh, with the character. He was just mainly standing around for the majority of the time. And then when it came to most of his action, it was just basically stock footage uh, stuff. And they didn't really move him around a whole lot because because I think that this was still the uh, the original Ghidorah that they've reused uh, for many years, I think. I think it, it got refurbished. I think the heads were replaced because the heads aren't exactly like they were from previous installments because that original one got beat up pretty nice a couple movies earlier in Destroy All Monsters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, with that regard, it was um, a bit disappointing to see get, uh, Ghidorah just standing around for a majority of his appearance in this film. And although it's not his, he's not really the front's uh, antagonist in this particular film, whereas Gigan is, and he was obviously the the most animated one between the two here, and um, kind of uh, get more uh, character and animation from Gigan there. Um, the one thing I kind of wish that they would have done is that uh, they would have. Uh, done his one laser beam from kind of his forehead kind of like what they did in the uh, in the uh, recently released uh, short film of of uh, with the newer Gigan suit there but I mean nonetheless uh, overall still great suits although the Godzilla suit in this one you can definitely see it uh uh, really uh, showing its wear for tear there. Um, I think this is probably the last one, or I think it's it the last time this suit is used. Yeah, 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 because I know it was really beaten down in uh, Godzilla vs. Zedora, which was the movie before this one uh, came into play. You can definitely see signs uh, of that being worn out quite a bit uh there but uh nevertheless uh it's it's one of those uh uh underappreciated films during this time period yeah for 50 years of godzilla versus gigan it's certainly a movie that a lot of godzilla fans are familiar with and i think it has more to do with gigan uh, gigan mm-hmm. in western Uh, fan culture is one of the most popular Godzilla foes and he's one of mine as well I mean when you get a a monster like that coming out of a film you're gonna obviously put that movie put that movie close to front and center um, (laughs) in your own fan like uh, list Uh, but then too the move this movie does get um, 
criticized quite a bit too for its main character saying that they're aloof and goofy but again i like that um you know you were talking about the characters for a little bit there i i agree i think these characters are some of the best in the series and i know i've said that a few times already about some of the movies we discussed but i really like them i i think they're some of the best in the fact that it, don't quote me on – actually, no, we get it in Godzilla Raids again. I'm just quickly scanning in my mind. We do kind of get it too with Godzilla versus the Sea Monster, maybe a couple other movies. But this is one of the few Godzilla movies in the series where it's the everyman that is not just your main characters, but they're the heroes as well because typically what you get in a lot of these Godzilla movies, you're either getting military – journalists or scientists as kind of your main characters which there's nothing typically wrong with that per se but again like we were talking a little bit ago about getting the same thing over and over again there gets to be a point where it's just it's it's not as fun anymore It, it doesn't provide any sort of uniqueness to it and the fact that you get a cartoonist a comic book illustrator and his girlfriend who is uh, a martial arts master and then you get mm-hmm. a, a corn cob eaten hippie and a <laughs> and, and a woman who is friends with that hippie but whose brother is has gone missing for a while from this children's land uh, kaiju park in mm-hmm. tokyo um that makes for not just an oddball gang but a really fun oddball gang i mean if you like guardians of the galaxy because of the oddballness of the characters you should love godzilla versus guy because the characters mm-hmm. are just an oddball grouping it's a it's a gang of just stumbling misfits more or less and mm-hmm. I like that about this movie. Now, again, maybe some of it is nostalgia creeping in for me because this was one of the – what I would call the first batch of Godzilla movies we saw. You know, We first saw this movie like in 94, I want to say it was, uh, perhaps, when we got it on VHS. Yeah. Um, and – you know, maybe that's creeping in, but this is my personal favorite out of the 70s. And this is a movie that, yeah, on some level, it does suffer from some of the budget cuts of the 70s. Um, but it doesn't suffer as severely as I think some of the other films do. Uh, certainly, Megalon that comes after this suffered an awful lot. I don't think that damns the movie, though. Um, and I think even Mechagodzilla suffers more than this movie does as well from budget cuts. Um, sure, the um, stock footage sequences that come near the end of the film are a little bit jarring, especially when you're familiar with the franchise. But mm-hmm. they do the best they can to try to match it up as best as possible. Yeah, and if – uh, just would like to interject when it came to the stock footage and when I mentioned earlier uh, on the film when I talked about it in my top five list that was one of the crispest most clean uh, films during this time period or the entire uh, Showa series for that matter um, you can definitely tell when they're using stock footage because the stock footage is a bit grainy, a bit yellowish, not quite as uh, clean and crisp compared to the new footage. Well, and they tried darkening it 
too. And that that too, and then it's a bit jarring when it came to that picture quality. Yeah, well, and you know, we first saw this movie before we had seen Astro Monster, and at the mm-hmm. time we didn't realize that. Um, but we knew something was a bit different because Ghidra's heads were flailing, and yet. You know, when he's down on the ground or doing other flying scenes with this new suit, he wasn't mm-hmm. doing that. So you and I, you know, at the time, we were like, something is kind of weird here. But we didn't really think and too then, much about it. And then also, like, with some of the stock footage, most of that was during the daytime, whereas most of the stuff in the, the new footage was, take, was during the nighttime. So it's like... Kind of in our minds, something didn't seem to, to be right until we saw Astro Monster or Destroyer mm-hmm. Monsters for the very first time. Yeah, and to me that doesn't matter. I mean, you know, the one thing that stinks about being a, a, a kaiju fan and maybe even more specifically a Godzilla fan um, – is that when you are familiar enough, when you've seen all the films and you become very familiar with the franchise, and especially with the Showa era, as you get later into the Showa era and stock footage becomes not just used, but used with some relative frequency, <laughs> it kind of takes you out for a moment because you realize what you're watching. Because of revenge. <laughs> well, and like with Gamera, you're talking about. Um, that super monster one yeah that one <laughs> i mean you know and they try to pull it off as like a new battle or something like that and it's not it's stock footage from earlier films it you know it takes you out sadly for a moment or two as you're watching it because you're going that's not original footage to this movie that's from this movie and that one's from that movie and etc and so um that's the thing that stinks about being a kaiju fan and, and you become so familiar with the films and you've watched them enough times to where you can easily tell what is what. Um, but this – Jun Fukuda is a director that also deserves more credit than – he's given Uh, a lot of fans will kind of crap on his movies and the unfortunate thing is um you know the 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 way things were done in toho back in the days is a lot different than what they are done now and sadly fakuda yeah when when honda either didn't want to do something or wasn't available at that time quite a bit fakuda was kind of the number two guy and he kind of came in the series anyways when budgets were starting to go downhill and Fukuda himself in an interview, a couple interviews, has always said that he never thought highly of of his um, movies because he was aware of the limitations he was given. And he never really believed either most people looked at his Godzilla movies with as much admiration as they did with Honda's. He was a very humble guy. I mean he, he really kind of thought he made decent enough films that maybe he hoped – um, would be sort of memorable. And the thing is that maybe this one along with Mechagodzilla are probably the two films that most fans would probably put up higher on their Fukuda list. I would also put Megalon up there, and Megalon, yeah, is very hamstrung as well. But again, similar to Terra Mechagodzilla, once you finally get a clean, crisp, clear, full version of a movie that makes a huge difference whereas here in the states we didn't have that for the longest time with megalon and you know um 
Fakuda, I, I think, you know, a lot of people in the West, anyways, kind of crap on his films. They don't like Son of Godzilla um, and, and, you know, it's Minya. I mean, people get hung up on some of the dumbest things. And to me, Jun Fakuda was able to do, I think, human action that was more interesting than what Honda did. And look, mm. don't get me wrong. I like Honda. I like his aesthetic. I like the way he did his movies. But let's face it, a majority of the time his characters stood around and didn't do a whole lot. And if and when they did, it wasn't like what Fakuda's characters did in his films. In Fakuda's films, like Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster, the shipwrecked guys and the bank robber were very active and going after the red bamboo and trying to figure out a way to get off the island. In Son of Godzilla, the scientists and the newspaper guy and Rico, very active in day-to-day life on the island and trying to survive and eventually escape that island. Here, you got everybody trying to figure out not only what's going on in children's land but they end up being the main reason why children's land ends up crumbling apart um fakuda has a way because his background was more involved in action type films like the iron at least the first iron finger film Uh, i'm not sure about the second one but um he was able to write characters to do more and his characters were so much more active in his films than what they traditionally were in Honda's. Yeah, Honda's characters would do things, but when it came down to the nitty gritty of a lot of things, they kind of stood by on the sidelines and just watched and either let the military do it or someone else or even the kaiju do it. Um, with Fakuda, the human characters were a part of the solution to the problem in the movie. And Godzilla vs. Gigan, in my opinion, is, I, I, I think, very rewatchable. Out of the 70s movies, this is one where I could watch it and then immediately start it back up again. Um, I, I think this movie has a lot of charm to it. There's a lot that is done well in this movie. And there's just... It's got a lot of replay value. It's got a lot of replay value. The score, unfortunately, yeah, is not original. It's all um, a compilation of of music that Ifukube did from previous films, which is fine. I mean, you could almost call it like maybe a best of if you want to, including um, the uh, the title screen, or is that original? One of the few, including the what? The uh, the title card screen. Yeah, that was when you if you watched um, oh um, that sci-fi Toho movie, um, the one that was a pseudo sequel to Mysterians. What was oh, that Battle in Outer Space. This? Battle in Outer Space. That was the main th- title music for that movie. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, it's been a while since I've last seen that one, so <laughs> I can't quite remember. Yeah, that's another fun movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 this movie deserves more credit than it's given. I, I think really as nerds, we really should love this movie more than what we do. But most of the fan base kind of makes fun of the characters. And I go, guys, you do realize all of us, by and large, are like Genko here. This 
nerdy guy who is into weird creatures and all that and has probably you know a significant other that is way better than what you deserve <laughs> like you know yeah. <laughs> so and it's, it's pretty and kind of has that smart ass snarky uh, type of personality too, like some which of us is have. what an awful lot of the kaiju <laughs> fandom has. Yeah. Trust me on that. But Genko is us. We are Genko, and <laughs> I, I just you know I, I don't quite understand why people, uh, why Western fans don't attach themselves to this movie more because there not only is there just a lot to like and admire here, but there's quite a bit of us in at least one of these characters. Um, as well Mm -hmm. yeah so um yeah i've got um really nothing to add other than yeah it's still holds up after all these years since it was first released and then when we first have seen it um many years ago and rewatching it over and over again leading up to to now celebrating its uh 50th anniversary here which is just wrapping up here and just uh the next couple days here um and then moving on to uh megalon and jet jaguar for next year (laughs) that's Uh, gonna be (laughs) gonna be interesting since this is our second uh film that we've ever seen and we can uh, finally here. talk about the pornographic magazine pictures in the back of that truck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but but yeah, other other than that, um, so I want to say say again, still a really great movie with very interesting characters. Probably one of the most unique and most underrated characters uh, in this time period, and if not the uh, entire. Uh, Godzilla franchise here um just the the story itself and yeah it's still one of the good films during its time period and still holds up pretty well yeah I mean for 50 years I think this movie continues to hold up um and again, like I said, maybe nostalgia is creeping in with me because this was one of the earlier films that we saw when we became fans. But I mean, other outside of Gigan, who is a phenomenal kaiju, and I, I and I love the design and I love the character. The the kaiju has one of the most outstanding personalities out of any kaiju to have come out of the Godzilla universe. Um, maybe e- even more so than just about any other kaiju in the Godzilla universe. Um, this is a film that I adore. Um, I, I, it's my favorite of the 70s. I, I think there's more rewatchability with this than the other films of the same decade. Um, it's, I mean, like I said, I mean, Genko is probably the only nerd in the Godzilla franchise that was not only a main character, but a hero. And, and all of us should cling to that because hey we can be heroes too and use dynamite to blow up our enemies um <laughs> i'm not advocating for that <laughs> but the network does not <laughs> does, does not uh, condone <laughs> the use of such behavior <laughs> <laughs> um but um i mean it's just kind of hard to put into words other than the fact that 
this movie, it's other than the fact that this was Gigan's debut film, there's more here to like. There's more here to love. It's got a unique and interesting story to it. The score, even though it's none of it's original, it's still nice to hear because it's kind of nice to hear some of Ifuku Bay's other music from previous films that somehow gets incorporated into one Godzilla movie. And the final fight is incredibly entertaining. I consider it to be one of the better ones out of the entire Showa era. And, um, this is a this is an incredible film. I, I would even say this is one of the better ones of the entire Showa era. It's I think about this movie quite often when I'm kind of in my Godzilla kaiju mindset because this is just a film that it, it knows what it is and it does it well, and it's one of the better ones of the decade for sure. It, it, it is the best of the decade and one of the best out of the Showa era. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, so um, why don't we move on to uh, this uh, the 60th anniversary of King Kong versus Godzilla? All right, trying to find it in my notes here. All right, so you're going to talk about the American edit first? Uh Sure, why not? <laughs> All right. So here's the deal, because I watched both in preparation for this. Same here, too. And um, and again, I think maybe for me, nostalgia is creeping in a little bit. But um, the American edit, look, yes, it takes a lot out of the Japanese cut that makes the story a little haphazard and maybe a, a bit incoherent in spots, for sure. And, and, no, and sometimes no, – and sometimes I think uh, when comparing the two now, after watching the Japanese cut, it seems like the American version. And I think, too, in the back of my head over the years that um, the American version kind of makes makes the film not too serious, whereas the, the original one makes it more serious. Although with some It's still comedic, played as comedic, a comedy. <laughs> With some comedic stuff with uh, the actual uh, Japanese characters in there, but with with the American stuff, it just kind of made it not quite as serious compared to. Yeah, and what I want to do too is make Doctor Arnold Johnson like an an everyday yeah. insult. <laughs> yep. Like, hey, you're a Arnold Johnson. Like, <laughs> meaning you're 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 a buffoon. <laughs> or like, like who a, thinks he's he's some type of. Uh, PhD holding uh, be, be like a be like a Benedict Arnold version. <laughs> now Benedict Arnold was a traitor. Like Doctor Arnold Johnson's a smug son of a bitch is basically what he well, is. <laughs> well, with Benedict Arnold being betrayed as a uh, traitor, I would say, and Arnold Johnson be more like the clown or a buffoon version. <laughs> the self-absorbed narcissistic believes he knows it all fan we could use it as an insult towards fans <laughs> there a bunch of arnold johnsons <laughs> there you go but here's the thing coin, you coin and like i said maybe some of my biases are creeping in when i say when i have some praises for this edit of the film similar to what we talked about with return of godzilla 
I'm going to say something similar here with King Kong versus Godzilla, the American edit, in that I think the American edit does a better job with musical cues. And what I mean by that is that I'm not saying that, um, you know, getting rid of Ifuku Bay's music in most areas is a good thing or anything like that. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that the Creature from the Black Lagoon music that they use actually isn't too bad. I, I think in some ways it works, to be perfectly honest. Again, this too was one of the earlier Godzilla movies I ever saw. So again, nostalgia and familiar familiarity may have something to do with that. Another thing too is similar to Return of Godzilla. There are plenty of scenes where in the Japanese cut, music is absent, but the American edit inserts music. And I think in some cases that makes certain sequences better in my opinion by having some of those musical cues put in place where the japanese cut omits such as um the octopus scene on faro island for something that is supposed to be horrifying as it's attacking the villagers it's silent in the japanese cut but adding some music in the American edit, I think it provides more of an adrenaline rush. It, it makes it seem like the scene is bigger, as it should be, because you have a giant octopus attacking you. Yeah, the one thing I'll add on to that uh, when comparing the two now, um, I, I would at, at least agree with you as far as the music that when it comes to the American version, I think it does add a bit more with an atmosphere uh, to uh, the film itself when it came to some of the areas. And with the Japanese version, every time when Godzilla was present, they always had his uh, marching score playing practically every time. Uh, whereas in the American version, there's always a variety, variety of music even when uh, Godzilla was present in that movie, there's always something different within there. So at least it add a bit more character and an atmosphere to the movie. So that's, that's at least one area that I would definitely agree with you on. Yeah, and going back to that giant octopus scene, when I watched the Japanese cut, it was very jarring to me that moment when – you get the stop motion oct octopus tentacle grabbing that islander, tossing him and throwing him, and you had no music. Whereas when you watch the American edit, like I said, it adds, it kind of brings in extra adrenaline for the viewer and it heightens everything. Because again, when you got a giant monster attacking you, it matters because people are going to get killed most likely. And it was very jarring in a bad way. And I, I, it's still kind of makes me a little like it, to me i just find it weird that someone like honda and all that would not insert music in a moment like that and then also with the american edit a lot of people uh, find that the um united nations news segments are um interrupting kind of the pacing of the film and i don't think they're I don't think they're 100 percent 
wrong in saying that. I don't think that it interrupts the flow of the movie as much as they say it does. Now, again, granted, again, for the umpteenth time, I grew up with this version of the movie. I'm familiarity very likely is coming into play as I say that. But um, yeah, I, I mean, are they necessary? No, it's a very tropish U.S. way of telling a story during science fiction movies. We see a lot of it in regular U.S. science fiction movies of the period. Um, it's nothing new. Um, but part of me has kind of enjoyed those, like even an Arnold Johnson segment for as uh, buffoonish as that guy is, you know, bringing out that infamous scene of Godzilla having a brain about the size, <laughs> like the size of a marble, and then saying, you know, King Kong because he's a strapping mammal, you know, has a bigger brain and such, you know, poor shit. Um, <laughs> you know, it just, I mean, some of it is amusing. Other moments of it are fine. I mean, sure, the whole thing about an earthquake in Chile and, and what it – yeah, it has nothing to do with the movie. Should it have been in there? No. But you know what? I've seen the movie dozens upon dozens of times over the years. It doesn't bother me, and again, it's because I'm probably used to it. Um, mm -hmm. But let me just quickly read off like my final thoughts on this American edit here. Uh, okay, here. The up. Uh, the poop. It, okay. What? <laughs> the American edit of King Kong versus Godzilla does make significant changes to the story and pacing of the movie. Gone are more scenes involving our main Japanese characters that aid with characterization as well as specific pharmaceuticals. Considering the movie was molded after the funny guy comedies of the period, a lot of the comedic elements are gone as well. Like Gojira, I do think the Japanese cut makes for a more cohesive and well-paced viewing experience compared to the American edit. With that said, I did grow up watching only the American edit until about 11 years ago. This particular version of the movie, at a loss of characterization and story, does streamline the movie to an hour and a half length and substituting some of Akiri Fukube's scores with stock music that mostly came from the creature from the Black Lagoon. I also find it funny that they redub some of the American actors to make them sound more masculine. Oh, yeah, like the <laughs> submarine captain. Yeah. Bunch of idiots. Uh, <laughs> familiarity and nostalgia prevent me from hating on this version of the movie. Despite this movie being chopped up in similar fashion as Gojira, I don't think that I don't think the cutting of scenes here is as detrimental considering this movie was not a somber, serious movie like Gojira. Again, yet the film in some ways does suffer from the absence of many of the Japanese scenes. But it's not as if cutting out incredible dramatic moments or important allegorical message like they did with Gojira. When all is said and done, the American edit of King Kong vs. Godzilla is still a palatable experience that gets to the point quicker. It's a version of the movie that I would still recommend. Awesome. So, just dive right into the uh the japanese version <clears throat> here if you want yeah. so um i know when it comes to one contrast when it comes to the uh, the japanese version is that uh, submarine sequence there whereas when comparing it to the american version they streamline that sequence much more practically in you know one whole sequence instead of actually chopping it up compared to 
the original Japanese version where they show one section of that submarine sequence, then got a completely different sequence with maybe some of the main characters or side characters there. Then go back to the submarine sequence, so on and so forth, up until leading up to Godzilla escaping from that uh, the iceberg uh, there. But uh, yeah, and then when it came to the submarine sequence, yeah, the voices of the, the actual uh, Americans that were in this film, they were much more... How... How to how to describe it? Maybe a little bit more uh, monotoned. I would bit, argue they're or... less they're less American mythology figures. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah, they don't have that whole fifties um, American as type guy. of tough guy <laughs> tone uh, to their voices in this one so it's just just kind of your more everyday actual person's voice <laughs> it's ridiculous how petty we americans are i mean it's so ridiculous <laughs> well during during those uh, time periods coming out of uh, a recent uh, world war you know trying to promote um a lot of the nationalism and everything during that time period so it's kind of kind of that whole uh thing but uh never nevertheless um uh, when comparing to the american version a lot of the things you know scenes uh story make much more sense when they're streamlined and trying to configure out certain things of why certain things are going this way or decisions and you get more of that with the original version where you in this one you have the um the military is much more prominent in this one compared to uh the american version where more or less it's uh like the scientists Dude, and then the the news broadcasters from around the world kind of telling you the narrative of things, whereas the movie just plays out and kind of giving you the narrative, and then as well as having the military more prominent in the movies when Godzilla and Khan are in Japan, there. Yeah, I mean. You kind of went over like some of the big differences. I I don't know if there's really much more I can add. I mean, we and basically then, like with the American edit, uh, you know, it, it it took out a lot of the characterizations and and then probably one thing I should add is you get more sequences over in the the the, the TTV uh, Pacific Pharmaceutical Headquarter that or the uh, TV station. Those two, so you get much more um, um, uh, prominence with with those uh, the station, and then the the pharmaceutical company as well. 
And the weird thing is that Ken- Kenji Sahara is on a boat in like one or two sequences, and yet we're told that the boat was attacked and destroyed by Godzilla, but yet we don't see that. And and but. the other thing, too, that since you brought that up, in the American version, he was supposed to fly a plane, whereas in this one, it was a boat. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, I'm going and to... Then, and then the one thing I want to touch upon, I think it's probably the uh, the elephant in the room for a lot of the uh, the fans because i know like there's there's always been a a rumor out there for many years that we've always Uh-oh. heard of since we started <laughs> uh watching the godzilla films that uh there there were two different versions of the ending for both the american version and then the japanese version where like you get in the American version, it was supposed to be Khan, and then, um, and then him warring, and then in the original version, is like Godzilla comes out from the water, and then you hear him roar. So that's that's always been kind of the rumor thing over the years. But in in reality, with the original version, you you still get the uh, King Kong coming out of the water, but you get both roars of King Kong and Godzilla at the end title screen. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to go into my final thoughts of the Japanese version because this more or less is going to sum up and I kind of talk a little bit about sort of my preferences sort of between the American and Japanese edit. Before I talk about, the, oh, okay, let's see here. I talk about the darkness. I already talked about that earlier. Um, and then as well as the audio. And then, yeah, I talk about the volume as well. Okay, here it is. Let me scroll down just a little bit more here. As for the movie, I will say that the characterizations and cohesiveness of the story's narrative are better here than in the American edit. However, that's really about all I can truly say about the Japanese cut that I find to be superior to the American edit. When it comes to sound design, I believe the American edit is superior. There are moments where the addition of music enhances a scene and moments where music was absent that also enhanced some scenes. I'm not saying either that Ifukube's score isn't good. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is, yes, I've gotten so used to the American edit over the years that I still prefer some of the Creature from Black Lagoon score in some scenes over Ifukube's music, and even in parts where music was absent within the Japanese cuts. There are a number of scenes in the movie where this becomes prevalent, but the scene that best illustrates the American edit's sound design being superior comes during the giant octopus attacking the native village on Faro Island. The rousing uh, theme that plays during the American edit intensifies the action and makes the stakes seem higher rather than the dismissive cues of Ifukube's music within this scene. Some of the American edit's addition of sound effects enhances this scene as well as a number of others throughout the movie. I am always a bit surprised as to how subtle and sometimes absent the score is within the Japanese cut of this movie. I also believe the American edit's tone of the movie is more consistent than in the Japanese version. While the movie emulates some of the uh, popular funny guy movies of the time, the comedic elements of the movie, while something I do find amusing, are also stilting the tone of the movie when it, com- when it becomes more serious during scenes involving Godzilla and the self-defense force. This is something we probably should have talked about. Uh, It messes with the pacing periodically as well by extending some scenes just to get a laugh from the audience. Even uh, those – the skit in question adds nothing to the movie itself. 
case in point is when our main characters, right before Kong and Godzilla square off for the first time, use grass and tree branches to camouflage themselves from the self-defense force in order to get a closer look at the battle. The American edit cures most of this by omitting a number of scenes, and this makes the tone more consistent and the pacing more fluid. One thing I would like to mention is that Akihiko Hirata's character, right at the end of the movie, waxes poetic that humanity needs to be more like Kong and Godzilla, where they adapt to their environments better. Such a message is not on display in the movie, nor was there ever such a theme brought up to begin with. I think Honda, in his attempt to put something of value in his mind into the movie, inserted this useless monologue. It should never have been inserted, but I would be hard-pressed to not remind myself and the rest of us that this particular movie would be the blueprint of structuring nearly every Godzilla movie moving forward. For We should have talked about that as well now that I read this. Uh, as a result, the Japanese cut is pretty rough around the edges as the filmmakers were searching for a way to structure the story properly. They'd get it right moving forward after this movie. In the grand scheme of things, the Japanese cut of King Kong vs. Godzilla is only superior to the American edit in character development and cohesiveness of the story. But in every other way, I think the American edit is a better viewing experience. The pacing, sound design, and omission of scenes that harm the tone and pacing of the movie make it a better watch in my opinion. But also after 60 years, King Kong vs. Godzilla left a huge mark within the kaiju genre. The popularity of the two title characters makes it very easy to see why the Japanese always flocked to theaters when it was released, despite the movie being rough around the edges. It left the fan base screaming for a rematch for nearly six decades until the cry was answered just last year. Even though the movie in both cuts is far from perfect, King Kong vs. Godzilla will continue to intrigue fans and to get them excited to see two of the most popular giant monsters duke it out for supremacy and and the one thing that uh we should have mentioned about is that uh the one guy uh, during uh the pharaoh island sequence is that he never mentions about his corns in the original <laughs> version yeah that's not as important though <laughs> just thought i'd point that out yeah we should have meant we should have talked about yeah like the comedic elements and how I, in my opinion, they kind of messed with the pacing of the Japanese film, but also the fact that this was the blueprint for every Godzilla movie, more or less going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, with that, that's kind of all the movies that I've seen uh, for this. So I'll just kind of let you pick on uh, which one you wanted to do next here all right well i got quite a few considering we've been on the show for almost four hours i figure maybe i have to say a little bit yeah i have to say that um by uh the pace that we're going to be going this is probably going to be the longest episode that we've done by far i think we spent a little bit more time history. on some things earlier in the yeah in the show <laughs> than we should have but oh well yeah so uh, I want to talk about the 20th anniversary of Godzilla x Mechagodzilla. Um, I don't know. Did you have anything to say about it? Otherwise, I figure I'll just go into final thoughts because I got a handful of other movies. And I figure with how long this has been going, I think yeah. what I'm going to do is just do general thoughts and then close, yeah, we can when close it, this one out. Yeah, when it comes to Godzilla x Mechagodzilla, I know you didn't uh, have that on this uh, one word doc that you sent me. Uh, last month but um it's i kind of like how they uh sort of reworked um 
the history or um, the lore, so to say, to Mechagodzilla and how he's uh, brought up in the uh, the Millennium series. Because uh, when it comes to Mechagodzilla, it kind of has one of the uh, most changing uh, backstories to a, a kaiju in the entire uh, genre, uh, where at first he was built by aliens from far away, and the second iteration of it made by the military using uh, technology from Mecha King Ghidorah from two years prior in the film in the Heisei series. And then now you got uh, Mechagodzilla in the Millennium series where he's still uh, built by the military. However, they use the bones of the original Godzilla from back in 1954 when he when that one first appeared and built the entire structure of Mechagodzilla around the skeletal structure there, which it's probably one of the better, if not maybe one of the best backstories to like any kaiju related uh, monster in the entire genre, in my opinion. But uh uh, other other than that, uh, I really liked uh, the backstory, or that backstory, the story, the plot, and the characters, uh, the visual effects, and the direction of how that uh, movie went uh, uh, when it first came out. And I can still remember uh, when going to the the official Japanese Godzilla website. <laughs> where they showed a lot of those different kinds of imagery and stuff every year when, when a new movie is uh, going out, it still seems like it was yesterday, but uh, yeah, other, other than that, um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good movie. Uh, some, I would say maybe a couple of characters are sort of uh, forgettable uh, in that regard, but uh uh, still pretty decent characters in there to move the story forward. And then also good uh, kaiju battle scenes in there as well. So, Okay, here are my thoughts on the film. Anyone who listens to us knows that my relationship with the Millennium Era of Godzilla movies is a very tenuous one. With the exception of Godzilla 2000, I find much of the rest of the era difficult to watch. I do believe most of that issue is that with nearly every movie, Toho is hitting the reset button and starting a new storyline. The only movie that is an exception to that is Godzilla Tokyo SOS. But I also believe a bigger part of the problem lies with the rehashing of old kaiju, despite some cool new looks. And here's the real kicker, mundane storytelling. I find so many of the characters to be unlikable because I either cannot connect with them on any level or their personalities are repellent. Most of the movies, I would also argue, don't have some of the same heart that the show and most of the Heisei and even the MonsterVerse films have. Finally, there are some great ideas for stories in this era, but the issue lies with the lack of fully realizing and or exploring those ideas. With 
with any with uh, anything further than the surface level. GMK is the prime example of an idea that was fresh for the, for the series, but the execution and lackluster storytelling made it one of the worst of the franchise, in my opinion. With Godzilla x Mechagodzilla, I've had a bit of a roller coaster relationship with the movie. Initially, I didn't care for it too much. Then I ended up finding it to be pretty good a number of years later. Then again, I thought it was pricker. As I watched the movie to discuss it for the an for this anniversary discussion, I came to the conclusion that this is one of my few favorites of the Millennium Era. Tokyo SOS was my second for many years, but I believe that has now slipped to third, possibly fourth. Godzilla x Mechagodzilla is paced very well and gets to the action pretty fast. Little time is wasted from the very first encounter between Godzilla and Mechagodzilla and their final encounter. The Absolute Zero Cannon is a nice idea that, yeah, because of its potency, is always a swing and a miss until the very end where its power is neutralized enough to not actually kill Godzilla like it was designed to do. The characters are decently written and have unique arcs, but I would argue there's no conclusion to any of these arcs with the possible exception of Hayama's in which, if we go by his facial expression at the end, accepts Akane as a friend. I love the the idea of a DNA computer controlling Mechagodzilla using the DNA of the 54 Godzilla. I find some logic issues, though, when we're supposed to believe the DNA within the computer, after hearing Godzilla's roar, somehow brought to life the old Godzilla, whom then proceeds to take over Mechagodzilla with silly, glowing red eyes. It seems cool until you realize it doesn't make sense unless the actual brain of the 54 Godzilla was somehow preserved or cloned and inserted into the robot. Something similar could have worked if they had programmed the robot to be controlled by a computer brain within its computer brain within itself, and something within its coding made it snap or inoperable. The miniature sets are great, and the final battle looks gorgeous, but sadly isn't quite as entertaining as it could have been. What's a bit disappointing as well is the writers wanted to explore more about how wonderful life is, and that once something is dead, it should remain so. It's similar to the life versus artificial life story that was sloppily thrown into 1993's Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Here the discussion goes on farther than the 1993 movie, but still doesn't come to any sort of deeper discussion and resolution. Sure, in the sequel of this movie, we're told the DNA computers were scrapped, but such a thing shouldn't have needed a sequel to get to that point involving a discussion that began with this movie. It's a discussion I would have loved to have seen this entry tackle more, but alas, it is still surface-level discussion that, more than anything else, tries to make this movie seem more meaningful than it actually is. With all that said, 20 Years of Godzilla x Mechagodzilla has been a pretty good one, actually. Sure, when compared to its other Millennium counterparts, minus Godzilla 2000, the bar isn't set really high, but the movie, with its pacing and fresh enough ideas, it's an entry that stands out just enough to where I believe most of us, when we rank favorite Godzilla movies, will have this one in our upper half. All right, and then let's see here. What? I just wanted to show Jason this. Well, we're in the middle of a podcast, pal, okay? <laughs> okay, what you okay, got next? See, I'm scrolling up. I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling. Scrolling, 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 scrolling all day. Okay, Planet of Monsters, um, which is the first... The anime uh, Godzilla anime. The very first All right, you Godzilla wanna, anime. <laughs> you want to get your uh, two cents in and then I'll do mine? 
Yeah. Um, although- fifth anniversary, by the way. Fifth anniversary. Yeah. Although it's been maybe at least a couple of years since I've last uh, seen uh, this one, but I can still remember a little bit of, of uh, how the movie goes in this one. Obviously, the very first anime uh, entry into the the whole Godzilla uh, franchise exclusively on Netflix uh, here from uh, five years ago. It's just sort of rehashing a little bit of the uh, uh the the story of kind of the net the uh, the nineteen fifty four version a little bit but more or less into the modern days uh, where a lot of people evacuate go into outer space and try to seek a, a new place to uh, inhabit a new planet but then um, uh, one of the main characters or something of that uh, sort, they decide to go back uh, to Earth. I, I forget uh, one of the main reasons why they do. Uh, however, I, I think it was 20,000 or so years go by on planet Earth, and it just drastically changes the whole entire environment. They believe Godzilla was dead, and so they went back. Yeah, so the entire uh, environment of the planet, you know, the uh, the air breathability, uh, the foliage, species just completely changed, and kind of kind of an offshoot to Godzilla, uh, practically. And then even the humans that uh, stayed behind on planet Earth uh, change uh, quite a bit with the new language, a um, little bit of a different physique in a way as compared to the others that were on board this uh, uh, spaceship for uh, different uh, for many millennia in that regard. And then, of course, you get them facing off different kinds of uh, smaller uh, Godzillas. And then towards the end, you see this huge uh, Godzilla, which, of course, is the uh, the largest uh, tallest version of Godzilla in the entire franchise called Earth Godzilla. And then that's kind of essentially where the first one ends off. Yeah, so what are your thoughts, though? Um, my initial thoughts on it, it's a pretty good uh, entry to kind of the first attempt at a, uh, a Godzilla anime uh, here, uh, the characters in here are uh, pretty good. Uh, in this one, uh, um, although they kind of get fleshed out a bit more uh, in the uh, the other two here, um, this one here is kind of more of a building process. So um, it would have been nice to kind of build things up a bit more in the first one then kind of focus more on maybe some other things and the the other two uh uh entries for this uh anime trilogy um and it's a it's i think a good uh fresh 
take on the whole uh, Godzilla lore and the universe as well. Uh, whereas you can't sort of do a bit of a retelling of the whole Godzilla origin at the beginning and then uh, take it a whole nother level where you have people go out in space for many, many years and then coming back to a much different, completely changed Earth, uh, pretty much taking on the offshoot or the DNA to Godzilla. And it's, it's a really unique take on the entire franchise. And I know we've talked about that before when we initially um, discussed uh, not only this movie, but the, the other two entries into uh, this anime trilogy. And um, characters are pretty good. Wish they would have uh, fleshed them out a bit more um, here. And uh, as far as the portrayal of kind of the 3D um, anime structure uh, to this, um, it was a bit hard to get used to because I know I've been I've been used to the the traditional 2D anime version for a very long time, but just kind of skinning them onto 3D. um, oh, marionette sort of uh, structure. It was uh, kind of over time got get used to it. But uh, other other than that, it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty decent uh, entry into the franchise. All right. Without a doubt, Godzilla, Monster Planet, and its two sequels are some of the best written kaiju movies of all time. Possibly of all time. The human characters are so well written that I didn't realize that nearly 55 minutes had passed when Godzilla first shows up on the Earth of 20,000 years into the future. It felt more like 30 minutes. The story setup is clean, rich, and awe-inspiring, as well as creative. Having two alien races involved within the story is something new to the franchise and helps to make the story more lively and unique by giving our human characters technology, weaponry, and later diversions in order to bring about Ghidorah. One of the things I love about this trilogy is not a single minute is wasted. Everything that is said and done matters to the story at large, and I catch something new every time I watch the series because of how deep and rich it is. I look to this series as a perfect example of exceptional writing. It still baffles me to no end that so many people are turned off by this anime trilogy. Sure, it takes a while to get to the monsters, but Godzilla is always at the center of the story. Eventually, Mechagodzilla and Ghidorah will become a part of that center. As I stated earlier as well, the characters are rich and fleshed out to the point that I am with them during the whole trilogy and am enthralled with their individual stories. We have so many kaiju movies that bring in the kaiju early and often. There's nothing wrong with that, but why continue to tread the same path? The series needs fresh ideas to keep it relevant for years to come, and the anime trilogy certainly breathed new life into the characters' long and storied oeuvre. Fans really need to realize this and be willing to give some of these entries, like the anime trilogy, another look. So, I mean, we're going long here. I was thinking yeah. with what's left, we just kind of give our opinions on them and, uh, yeah, move on here. Word of that one. Uh, 
Um, we can quickly, I don't have notes on this, but we can give our, um, we can move on to 65th anniversary of the Mysterians. Um, yeah, as far as uh, Mysterians go, um, it's a really, in my take on uh, the Toho uh, sci-fi area, so to speak, it's a really good uh, entry uh, with kind of how a lot of Japanese uh, kind of interpret uh, kind of their own version of uh, space and as well as aliens and stuff compared to what Americans have done with their uh, sci-fi action movies, whereas this one is they do things a lot more unique. I really like uh, the characters, how they portrayed both the uh, the good side and then the bad side. You know, aliens for the most part. Um, and then you had Morgura in this one, where um, where I like how they executed that for a brief amount of time in this movie, like the pr uh, practical and visual effects in the here, uh, as well as the story and plot and the, uh, the direction or execution of this, uh, uh, of the entire movie itself. I really liked how they uh, did with uh, the Mysterians. Yeah, the Mysterians for me, uh, upon initial viewing, like decade and a half or so ago, uh, didn't really care for it. But with time, I've grown to appreciate it more. Um, I, I don't hold this movie as high in regard as some other fans do. And maybe it's because they grew up watching this either in the theaters or on television uh, a handful of years later. Um, but I think some of the practical effects are really rough in some scenes. Um, and um, I think the, the characters in terms of their arcs, they're fine. Uh, in some cases, a few of the characters are types, which again, it's fine, but there's no grand uh, characterizations involved with this particular film. Um, um, I think where this movie excels at more than anything else is just um, I think the aesthetics. I think the look of the Mysterians' hideout, their ships. Uh, you got Morgara. You got their outfits. You got the flying um, – blimps near the end of the film uh or rockets i should say uh, to that try to destroy the the mysterian base um i think the aesthetics of this movie and some of the set design is pretty well thought out but otherwise i think the movie um is decent if not lackluster in spots i think this is because it was a movie that came like a couple years after gojira this is kind of where toho and honda and crew are still trying to kind of figure out um the formula for success so to speak and and here i mean look the movie is not terrible i'm not saying that um i just I don't think it's it's um, as good it out to be, but it's still a relatively fun movie. It's a bit slow in parts, but it's fine. Decent movie. Um, mm -hmm. 60th anniversary of Gorath. Boy, <laughs> you didn't uh, put any of these down on my list that you sent me. Um, 
Yeah, when it came to Gorath, I remember first watching this uh, when I moved back up in uh, to Minneapolis in 2012, and I watched it for free with my Amazon Prime account. <laughs> watched it on my TV, and uh, my initial thoughts on this one, I think it was uh, a little. A bit disappointed in a way because I know for many years we've seen that uh, giant uh, uh, walrus, I think it was called Magma. Magma. Yeah, Magma. And I think the one I watched was the uh, American version where they had to, yeah. uh, Basically, completely cut the entire uh, sequences of Magma out. You really weren't missing a whole lot, though. I will just say that. Yeah. Um, the story is unique in a way where you have a flying asteroid heading towards Earth or star, which it, whichever it is. Um, and then building <laughs> like these huge rockets for the Earth in order to move it. There's so much wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Um, it's it's a, it's unique in a way, but as far as execution of it, it's a bit mediocre in a way. In the very end, although the uh, the characters in here are pretty good, uh, the music and the visual practical effects in here are pretty good. Story's okay. Um, but yeah, the overall presentation slash execution is a bit mediocre at best um, for Gorath. Both the American version, which didn't really cut out much, mainly the Magma uh, sequences, and then as well as the Japanese version, which didn't quite do enough for it. Yeah, the American edit cuts out the magma sequence, but you're not really missing out on a whole lot. Um, it's very, very short. doesn't really add up to much of anything. The American edit, I will say, um, streamlines the movie a bit more, which I guess is kind of a good thing because um, – I'm kind of with you. This, To me, this is not a good movie. Uh, it's not the worst I've ever seen, but it just is not good. Considering it came from Honda and, and, and crew, I'm just – I'm very disappointed in how this one turned out. Um, the American edit, again, kind of like what we talk about with a lot of American edits of these Japanese movies. It, the movie, yes, is shorter and more streamlined, but at the expense of characters. Um with that being said, though, however, I will say this, going into talking about the Japanese edit, the Japanese edit is a bore. Um, and it's disappointing because you have some really good actors in, in, the, in here. You have uh, Akira Kubo, Kumi Mizuno, and a number of stapled actors we will see in a number of Showa-era uh, Godzilla films. And... There are a number of sequences. One I, key, I can never forget is uh, Kubo and some of his crew flying a helicopter for way too long, looking over, <laughs> you know, in, in a very happy-go-lucky way over a couple of um, uh, spots somewhere in Tokyo. And the movie's a bore. Um, it really is, and I hate to say that. Um, 
I think this movie is slightly better than Honda's um, Human Vapor um, movie. I, I still think that's probably his worst science fiction film I've ever seen. Um, here, uh, uh, once again, the aesthetics and the look of the movie are really good. The effects uh, are done really well too, but not much happens, and a lot of sitting around talking and little action is being done and kind of once you get to the action the movie's close to being over and the whole idea of how to avert uh, this other planet from colliding with earth is to put rockets uh, on earth's butt and to shoot it further out into space is one of the dumbest things i have ever heard i would even think by 19 early 1960s standards they would have known that if you threw earth out of orbit that's gonna fuck shit up on this planet mm -hmm. and i i just i'm all for toho science you know i'm all for the defying of physics like with godzilla flying and stuff that's stupid but, silly stuff but yeah when it um, when it comes to this even in my standards with toho science i think it's going a bit too far the moving of the planet out of its orbit to avoid this planet really is one of the dumbest things that has happened to toho kaiju ega or just toho sci-fi tokusatsu ega it's it's one of the dumbest things ever um but and that's the thing. I, I hate to say it because both versions of Gorath, neither one of them is good. Um, it's just that the American one is shorter. So if you're wanting to save yourself some time, watch that one. Uh, you're not missing much of on the magma scene. Sadly, this is not. This is just not a very good movie. It's it's a movie I've seen the American edit once, and I've seen the Japanese edit twice. No, and I just. I, I this is one that's going to get watched like every handful of years. It's just mm -hmm. it's not worth your time really. I, I mean, yeah, as, as a fan of this stuff and as a fan of a, a number of these actors that are involved, yeah, I'm a completionist, but this isn't one that I grab. Mm -hmm. So, all right, um let quickly scroll up here. Because we're jumping all over the place on my notes. Yeah. Okay. Fifty uh, fifth anniversary of Yongari. <laughs> oh man, um, where to begin on this one? Um. So it's it's a really interesting uh, Korean film, uh, monster flick, uh, to say the least. Um, it's got its quirkiness. It's got its uniqueness. Um, the design to Yongari is uh, pretty unique in its own way and obviously much different compared to the atrocious uh, 2001 version. Um, that's, that's a fun watch only because it is terrible. Yeah. Um, and it would have been nice to have seen the 99 version with without all that... Uh, crazy crap in it um that's gone to history same same goes with the uh, the original uh, uh version of this movie here um but um yeah with this one um the uh, the hu uh, some of the human characters are pretty interesting mainly the kid <laughs> um 
I want to punch him. Yeah. Um, He's got a face only a fist loves. Uh, some some of the visual effects are pretty pretty interesting, although some of the size scaling is a bit um, a bit obvious. In, in particular, one of the scenes, and then and some some of the practical effects. When it comes to the Jeep, you can see some instances where they should have uh, <laughs> should have hit it pretty well. Um, but nonetheless, it's it's a pretty um, interesting entry into the whole uh, kaiju genre uh, in its own right, uh, with the Koreans trying to make their own attempt at a a kaiju. Uh, film where I think it's uh, one of the only two maybe there might be a few more that we might not have heard of besides Yonguri. Um yeah so uh, it's uh, still a pretty enjoyable film nonetheless uh, the story is pretty unique to where it kind of draws you back in uh, from time to time especially with uh, uh, Yangri bleeding from his uh, you-know-what at the very end. <laughs> his butt, for those who are not familiar. <laughs> for, for From his anus. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's uh, Yangri, a pretty uh, unique film from uh, Korea. Uh, once again, going to continue to use a phrase I use often on here. For those who are familiar with our podcast, no, um, I'm a fan of this film. And I realized here a couple of weeks ago, this makes the 10th anniversary of when I first saw this movie. I watched it for the first time in like early December of 2012 via Netflix. Um, here's the thing. Is Younger a good movie? No, it's not. Is it a competent movie? I would say for a kaiju movie, by and large, yes. Um, look, e even for myself, as a huge fan of this movie, I have to admit that as time has gone on and I've watched this movie more over the years, there are moments where I have a hard time watching certain segments of this movie just because at times it takes its sweet time to um, – you know, maybe build up a certain scene and they spend more time than they need need to on other segments. Um, but I do enjoy this movie an awful lot. I think the music in my mind is, is rather entertaining. Um, the effects by and large, both practical and, and composite are sufficient except in a few spots. And um, I, I, I think it, in many ways, it's close to being comparable as uh, other Japanese uh, kaiju films of the same time. And um, I, I do think if you're a kaiju fan, this is something you need to track down and, and watch. A Blu-ray of it came out, what, about a year or so ago Yeah, uh, yeah with a commentary recently. track by a guy who still owes me an interview in Steve Rifle. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, this is... Um, I... I, I I remember listening to a particular podcast uh, ten and a half years ago that really just kind of bombastedly made fun of this movie, and I can understand why. But like I said a moment ago, I don't think this is too terribly different from what you would find coming out of Japan 
at the same time frame. You're talking about 1967. You're looking at what is it, Son of Godzilla. You're also looking at Gamera versus Gauss. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of off the top of my so, head what else could be coming. Oh, King right Kong Escapes. <laughs> so yeah. listen right there. Come on. <laughs> I can't pull up my Word document because someone tells me I my my volume goes in and out. Um, well, but, that's, that's not my fault. It's the <laughs> platform's fault. It's the program's fault. Um, but yeah, this I think is still worth a watch. I don't think this is as terrible of a movie as some of those other movies, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, yeah, it, it's very goofy and silly and stupid in parts, but you could say that about other films coming out of Toho and Dai and stuff at about the same time. So mm -hmm. uh, again, I think if you're a Kaiju or wannabe kaiju fan this is when you should back down and, and especially with a relatively recent blu-ray release within the last year or so mm -hmm. go track it down i think it's worth a watch as an interesting commentary track on there as well Do all it. right so 55th anniversary of gamma versus gauss um yeah with uh the third entry into the gamma showa uh, series here. Speaking of um, cars that they don't hide that stand-up deal on that <laughs> kickstand. <laughs> yeah. Um, with this movie, in my opinion, I think it's uh, the, uh, the second best entry into the, the Gamer Show franchise behind uh, Gamer vs. Barugan, which is the film prior to this uh, movie here. And with uh, Gauss, a pretty interesting uh, uh, kaiju being introduced into a film franchise. And then you have uh, human characters that are pretty competent uh, in their own right. Um, although some goofy instances uh, here and there in the film uh, with the kid, you know, being a know-it-all, figuring things out where scientists should have known. <laughs> He's the friend of all regard. children, Gamera is. Um, the practical visual effects are um, really good here. Uh, story and the execution of the film is pretty good uh, for uh, what it was uh, trying to do in that regard but i think with this movie it was i i would say it's the stepping stone to what uh the the showa series for gamera uh turned out to be in the very end just <laughs> all the really cheesy uh children focus uh type of films that it, that it turned out to be where it should have gone more in direction that Gamer vs. Barugan uh, tended to be. It was more adult-oriented, focused, and uh, better storytelling uh, and structure and um, overall better uh, kaiju fights in that regard. But nonetheless, still pretty competent uh, movie within the Gamera franchise. 55 years later, and Gamera vs. Gauss is still one, if not the best entry in the original Gamera series. Regardless, 
it is one of the stronger entries in the overall saga. Sure, like most movies of its age and the time it was made, it does show its age in areas. But I think in some respects to criticize or damn a movie due to its age as being unfair and unreasonable. Those who are Gamera fans continue to point to this as being one of the better films of the original series and a turning point for the character as he comes even closer to being the friend of all children. Not only that, it spawned arguably Gamera's most popular foe in Gauss. The movie continues to be a kaiju flick that I consider to be in the top tier of what I call the old guard kaiju era movies, a category of movies that I believe are examples of some of the best the genre had to offer during the initial heyday of kaiju Ega. The miniature work is fantastic. The story is intriguing to both adults and children. The battles are relatively frequent and entertaining, and the acting is very convincing. About the only criticism I have for the movie is when Gauss splits the photographer's car in half midway through the movie. While I've always found this scene to be amusing, if not laughable, I think it momentarily disrupts the tone and a little bit of the flow of the movie. One new tidbit about this movie that has made it special for me is in regards to the recent G-Fest. As you know, I took my son with us to his first G-Fest this past summer. One of his favorite things to do was to go to the film room and watch some of the movies that were playing. One such movie was Gamera vs. Gauss. This was one of the very few this past G-Fest that we sat together and watched all the way through. As I watched this movie in preparation for this podcast, I kept going back to my memories of this past G-Fest and sitting next to my son watching the movie. It may be a memory I won't forget, and I hope I never will. I would find it strange that even there are people out there who aren't fans of Gamera that they would still think this movie is one of the better kaiju movies of all time. It is well made and seems to have been the movie that Gamera filmmakers succeeded in finding a working structure for these films. It's an incredible movie that every kaiju fan needs to see. All right, here. We're getting close to the end. All right. (laughs) Well, sort of. 55th anniversary of Son of Godzilla. Let's do lightning round. Um... Yeah, so introduction to Minia here, as well as uh, uh, Kamakras and Kumunga, or Spiga, however you want to pronounce uh, the name of the uh, the giant spider. Um, it's a good um, inter- uh, entry into the Godzilla franchise. A lot of the uh, interesting characters in here mainly focus on a island. Uh, like I said, you get uh, in- uh, characters like uh, Kubo, um, and I forget some of the others' names. Um, really human focused. Uh, this movie is um, where you get some of the bouts between Godzilla Kamakras and then Godzilla Kamunga, and see kind of the growth spur of Minya here. But a really interesting uh, take. Sort of, kind of the uh, uh, the son and Co- son of Khan version of uh, of a Godzilla film, in a way. So a pretty a pretty uh, unique and interesting take, and a uh, pretty uh, a pretty decent entry into the Godzilla uh, franchise. Um, my take on Son of Godzilla and in. 55 years is that this definitely is a movie that's left an impression on the Godzilla fandom, mainly because, like you said, Minya, a lot of fans hate him, which I I don't quite get, but whatever. Um, Some people are ridiculous. (laughs) Even, Um, even, even, even though some of those are trying to say that Godzilla's revenge is 
uh, a really good storytelling film with Minya in it. <laughs> Again, I, like I said earlier, the hypocrisy within the fandom is what drives me the most crazy. But um, they're, they're the Johnsons. They're the Arnold Char- Johnsons. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is an underappreciated uh, and 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 underrated. Uh, not just Godzilla flick, but Kaiju flick. It's very well made by Jun Fukuda. You got a great cast of actors and characters in here. Characterizations. I, I mean, these guys are types. There's nothing really special about them, but because they're good enough actors, they're fun to watch. The island settings are done really well. The initial, yeah, Minya uh, costume or, or marionette is pretty ugly. The Godzilla suit maybe the the ugliest looking one as well but i've seen it enough times that it kind of grows on me and i don't notice it too much anymore but um good acting despite character types really fun movie i enjoyed i've watched it more over the years um i just wish fans were better uh, about watching this movie and really seeing the the value that this movie has uh then this next one it would have turned 60 last year but we had didn't have one last year so 60th anniversary of mothra um again uh sort of like the 92 version of uh of uh Godzilla's mothra this one's another good entry into the whole uh kaiju genre pretty interesting take more of a back lore to uh mothra's whole um character you get more um into the whole infant island lore slash myth there you get more of the uh the natives uh that sort of speak where you don't really see them much at all through throughout uh, uh mothra's appearances and other films in that regard um yeah uh, uh, Pretty uh, interesting take on Mothra. Good characters. Uh, I would say a good uh, script, uh, story, and uh, execution of it. Uh, practical and visual effects for uh, the minimal amount that there was in here. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Mothra is uh, a pretty good film. Uh, or entry into the uh, kaiju genre. Yeah, pretty decent film. I think uh, the pacing is a little off uh, here and there. Acting, by and large, done pretty well. Um, characters, once again, are types for the most part. Some are amusing, uh, others not so much. Um, I think uh, the the villain of Nelson is a really good one. The effects, by and large, are done pretty well, especially with the final destruction of, of Newkirk City. And um, the the score, it's done by a different maestro, and I can't think of his name off the top of my head. The score is not as good as what we would get. Time, time for more research. And um, it's... It's an okay score. I mean, it, it gets the job done, but um, the, the, the movie, by and large, it... the mu- uh, the music is scored by uh, Yuji uh, Koseki. I knew the last name started with the C, and the first name started with a Y. Well, um, but it's, a... it's it's it starts with a K, not a C. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, you know, unfortunately, I, I just don't think. 
this one definitely I will say this. It's an entertaining movie, but I don't think it's as good as, say, Rodan. Rodan, I think, is a better movie than this one is. Um, and, you know, it's fine. This is one I, I don't mind watching. It, it's a hit and miss type of film in terms of what's good and maybe what's okay uh, or even not okay. But it's it's fine. I think over 60 years, obviously, Mothra, it's been a big deal because Mothra's had a big – you know, even people who are not familiar with the Godzilla franchise know of Mothra. So it's left a huge impact, but I think Mothra's initial movie is pretty mediocre. And so uh, on to the 20th anniversary of GMK. Well, it says there the same <laughs> about from, from uh, a year ago. <laughs> about this one. I mean, um, it's it's a good it's a good idea for a film, but as far as the execution of it, uh, just doesn't quite work out well. Uh, and even kind of the whole mythology approach uh, for the Godzilla franchise, which really hasn't been done before, uh, it worked out for Gamera, but just doesn't quite work out for Godzilla to say the least. Um, and as far as the human characters you just don't quite connect with them very well in in this regard and it's a pretty disappointing uh movie very overhyped and very overrated um by many fans that give it high praise for it so in my my opinion is just a disappointing, overrated, overhyped uh, movie uh, uh, entry into the franchise. Yeah, I mean, I, I echo basically everything you say. Um, if it weren't for Shin Godzilla, this movie for me would be – I would consider it to be the worst of the franchise. Um, like you said, a pretty good, interesting idea to insert into the Godzilla franchise, but the execution here is awful. And I put the blame both half and half. I put half of it on Kaneko, and I put the other half on Toho. Toho didn't give him uh, as much time to put the film together as he had when he worked with um, Dai uh, putting the Gamera or, trilogy together. Or trying, trying to bring in some of the monsters that he originally wanted to bring in that too and and so toho has to foot some of the blame on this uh the characters again if it weren't for shin Godzilla, these would be the worst characters in the entire franchise i hate uh yuri i, I hate her an awful lot she is a very whiny uh spoiled character who i cannot connect with on any level she's very uh, entitled um just a awful character her dad is probably the best character in this movie but he's not in it enough to really save it um the effects are really some of the best the series had to offer up to that point uh, my complaint though is that the suits look like suits um it definitely looked like the godzilla feet definitely had like foam padding uh on on well, the soles i know i know um, that they were trying to betray him kind of be more slimmer and be a little bit more dinosaur like but because I know that they had some really good model renditions of that Godzilla, but then again, like the execution overall for the movie, the execution for the Godzilla suit just did not turn out well at all. Yeah. 
And I was told by August Rigoni here about three years ago to watch the movie in its original Japanese and watch it subbed because he was saying that it actually makes a difference. Um, um, uh, you know, as far as the enjoyability of the movie. And there is a now sadly long lost drunken commentary I had made of me watching the Japanese <laughs> cut um, that I lost on my laptop that I lost like back in May of this year. Um, <laughs> and when I watched the, the Japanese edit of that movie, there weren't that many differences. Um and, and it really didn't enhance the movie at all. Um, like you said, this is overhyped and an overrated film. It's not only is it one of my most disliked Godzilla films, uh, it, it, it's definitely down there. And, and I said, if it, like I said, if it wasn't for Shin, um, you know, this would be right there. And speaking of Shin, 50th year anniversary, my two cents of it, still not good. So, um, <laughs> I wrote something kind of long here. It's the 30th anniversary of Godzilla versus King Ghidorah. <laughs> um, and again, this is celebrating 30th anniversary from last year. Yeah. Uh, just kind of need to wrap this up. Um, I know. <laughs> yeah. So I know we mentioned about it uh, before when we reviewed and commentated on this film. Um yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty out there, crazy uh, Godzilla film. Um, probably one of the uh, wackiest ones uh, out there, and um, the the characters they're a bit goofy here and there. Um, the execution of it is a pretty goofy uh, way of doing it. It's although it's interesting with the uh, the time machine portrayal of it, but just the execution of it is just um, a bit crazy and goofy in the very end. Um, visual effects they don't quite hold up <laughs> pretty well uh, over the years, although the uh, the kaiju fights in there are pretty good. But yeah, other than that, it's a uh, one of the uh, the wackiest um, entries into the Godzilla franchise. I wrote something here, so bear with me. Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah is another Godzilla movie that I find baffling that so many Godzilla fans flock to as being a favorite of theirs, considering that the movie is undoubtedly the messiest Godzilla film to date. To begin with, the rules of time travel are time travel are not only set within the movie itself, but completely ignored once the characters head back to 1994 Log um, 1944 Lagos Island. <laughs> Everything involved with known general rules of time travel, even when taking some of the movie's own rules into consideration, is the equivalent of someone grabbing the tablecloth during a Christmas dinner and dragging it along with all the food onto the floor. It's an absolute mess. So much so that to, uh, that to go into minutia would take too long to cover here. Along with the messiness of the time travel story, the characters are aloof, buffoonish, and ridiculous. Terasawa is one of those main characters who has all the answers, even when some of the experts are completely baffled by what is hap happening. 
The dialogue is also atrocious. In fact, it's the worst in the series. Ideas are repeated within mere seconds after they were already mentioned, and other pieces of dialogue aid in making some of the characters look clueless and stupid when answers are obvious. One of the oddest and even sickest things about this movie is how they play Terasawa and Emmy's relationship. They hint that there is some chemistry between the two, only for Emmy to throw a stinger right at the mo- as the movie is about to close about them actually being distant relatives. Without a doubt, this, sto- the, this story moment serves no, serves no purpose, is the most useless storyline in the entire Godzilla franchise, and is just sick and twisted with how they played it. To add insult to injury, the movie was made after two well-made, well-written Godzilla movies and the return of Godzilla and Godzilla vs. Bailane. <clears throat> While those two movies brought Godzilla back to a darker, serious tone, Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah does a 180 and goes full-on absurd instead of gradually working to absurdity the same way the Showa era did. The remaining Heisei movies show much greater restraint than this movie did, but to try to be fair and objective, the kaiju battles and sequences really are entertaining. They do rival many of the other kaiju sequences seen within the Heisei era. I always have a good time with the movie when the kaiju are present on screen. And if you're simply looking for a good monster romp without taking things – without thinking too much – this isn't the worst choice you can make. It would still be difficult, though, to get past some of the unavoidable things like terrible dialogue and bad character work. Nevertheless, in a general sense, it's still an entertainment movie. But when one pays attention to the movie, it's an unmitigated disaster. Not only is it one of my least favorite Godzilla movies, I truly find it to objectively be the worst in the Heisei era, one of the worst in the franchise. Perhaps if the movie came along later in the Heisei era, I would be softer on my critique and would find its absurdity more palatable as it would come right after two exceptional films. However, I would choose this movie over GMK and Shin Godzilla. At least this movie embraced what it was and went all in. I can appreciate it for that. And and, I think and, that. and lastly, I don't want to get into the whole um, relationship between the two relatives trying to make it out <laughs> to what to what uh, to some sort of taboo thing. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let, this is indeed the last one. Uh, this is one we would have talked about last year as well if we had a show. But Godzilla versus Hedora. I'm going to quickly go because I, I wrote something down for this one too. All right, lightning round. Holy crap, this show is long. (laughs) (laughs) No shit. (laughs) All right, James Stewart. Undoubtedly, the strangest entry in the entire Godzilla franchise, Godzilla vs. Hedorah, has left an indelible mark within the fandom. Most notably, those within the Boomer and Gen X generations that grew up seeing this movie, if not in theaters, then on television. For years, I kept scratching my head trying to figure out what was going on with the movie and why director Bono made the creative decisions that he did make. After many viewings in a number of years, I have come to believe that I have most of those questions answered, but a few still linger. But over the film's half-century lifespan, outside the nostalgic value by the two generations I mentioned a moment ago, Godzilla vs. Hedorah has also become a uniquely beloved movie with younger generations of fans, in part due to its odd way of telling a story. Without a doubt, it's the most gruesome and somber entry in the series since Gojira and features certain characters and trademark moments that most fans laugh at but are endeared to as well. As for myself, I find the movie fairly entertaining, odd, and laughable. I enjoy the several battles that take place between Godzilla and Hedorah. The movie clips along at a nice pace, and being a 
conservationist at heart, I love the message the movie is attempting to spread. Godzilla flying near the end of the movie is incredibly bonkers, and I remember us laughing hysterically at the movie the first time we saw it. Our parents were with us as well, and they got a kick out of that sequence. To this day, I cannot think of any other moment in a Godzilla movie that so severely gives the middle finger to physics and is perhaps the funniest moment in the whole saga. Of course, with time, the hilarity of the scene isn't quite as funny, and I found myself thinking of the flying sequence as rather embarrassing, but still charming in its own way. The movie isn't without flaws, however. Granted, no movie is perfect, and some of the problems with Godzilla vs. Hedorah don't damn the movie for me, but are still issues that I find that hurts the movie enough to where it's not in a category of beloved Godzilla films for me. Dr. Yano is virtually bedridden the entire movie and spends much of his time telling others what to do. While his face is scarred, others, including Ken, who got his hand burnt, are able to still move about and to be an active participant within the movie. Despite the film's attempt at making the scope necessarily large and the stakes high, it ends up being fairly small and confined. No doubt a product of budget slashing that is synonymous with the 70s era of Godzilla films. As a result, it feels a bit uneven in that regard and sadly makes the whole conclusion of the movie preposterous because what ends up happening is Dr. Yano is the responsible party that comes up with the means of killing Hedorah and telling an incredibly inept self-defense force how to use the electrodes. The incompetent self-defense force is a bit funny but irritating and annoying more than anything else. Their ineptitude and the fact that the electrodes continue to not have power fed to it to kill Hedorah are contrived ways to try and not only prolong the film, but an attempt to raise the stakes, which it fails to do. The electrodes, as a result, are activated by Godzilla's atomic breath, which, while I'm willing to let go on some level, makes no sense. Just as confusing as the fact that the electrodes do nothing to Godzilla when he's standing in between them and they become activated. I would think he'd be hurt too should he get caught by electrodes, but I guess not. There's still the case of those... Uh, strange people who are watching over the teens at their party near Mount Fuji and what those mysterious orbs are that Godzilla pulled out of Hedora. My theory has been that they are uh, Hedrium, the element that was mentioned earlier in the movie by Dr. Yano, but the film doesn't tell us nor imply what they are exactly. The characters are unintentionally funny and memorable for being as such, but I can't say I connect with any of them nor find any of them fascinating enough to root for them and to watch and to want to be on their journey. Our main cast of characters is pretty bland and their story's dull. It's only Dr. Yano who does the most, and even then the most he ever really does outside of diving in the ocean early in the movie is sit at a table and play specks of Hedra sludge and test tubes filled with murky water. For 50 years, Godzilla vs. Hedorah has become a beloved favorite by many fans of an older generation. They have very fond memories of watching the film as a child, and in some cases, it's the movie that introduced them to Godzilla. It continues to leave its mark with subsequent generations, mainly due to its unique style of filmmaking and intentionally, unintentionally hilarious moments that make it stand out from nearly every Godzilla movie. Even for myself, this movie sticks out as interesting and unique entry within the franchise. However, I don't have the fondness for the movie as others do, even though I saw it relatively early within my formidable years of being a fan. I do enjoy it by and large, but still believe the movie could and should have been better. Granted, budgetary reasons for sure did hold the movie back to some degree. But even then, there were decisions that I would have made differently to make the movie scope bigger, Hedra more menacing, and to hammer home the message more effectively while writing characters that are more fun. Still a movie every prospective Godzilla fan, though, needs to see. Holy crap. <laughs> I told you. Jeez, Louise, you should at least sort of cut things down a bit. 
<laughs> I didn't know it was going to go this long, dude. <laughs> I thought we would have been done like an hour and a half ago. Well, I told you beforehand when you were listing down all these things, it's like this is going to be a one long episode. <laughs> and sure yeah, but enough, I thought we were going to move faster, and I think we spent longer time on a few areas than we thought we were going to. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Um, anyways, as far as this movie, um, just like uh, Godzilla vs. Uh, King Ghidorah, however, this one is probably the most wackiest, strangest uh, film in the entire Godzilla franchise and possibly perhaps one of the wackiest and strangest movies in the entire kaiju, kaiju genre and it definitely shows with the uh, the 70s style uh, cuts, uh, sequences uh, the animations uh, in here and some of the, uh, the wackiness uh, in that regard with Godzilla flying and all that. And yeah, when it comes to the characters in here, they're a bit forgettable, uh, to say the least. Um, uh, some of the practical effects that were used in here are pretty good. Uh, the fights between Godzilla and Hedorah are uh, good. Probably one of the um, uh, uh, outstanding parts in this entire film. Visual effects, pretty good. Uh, story, just too wacky. <laughs> too wacky for a Godzilla film. Um, it's a pretty interesting idea for what it was at the time, but the execution, again, wacky and strange. <laughs> so that's just my overall take of Godzilla versus Hidora. And with that, we finally conclude our year in Kaiju Palooza because we didn't have an episode for like two and a half weeks. We made it extra long for you guys. I think it's our longest episode to date. And long, uh, one of our longest. Are you kidding me? <laughs> About five hours. And so, hey, there's plenty of content for you because I don't know exactly when we're going to be back in the new year. But um, thank you so much for watching or listening to us, whichever version of, of this episode you uh, are, are, are listening or following us. On, whatever. It's been five hours. Um <laughs> Once again, happy Christmas, Hanukkah, happy new year. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Hopefully uh, you will continue to be back with us. I think uh, we'll t Jason and I will talk it over at some point, but I think maybe what we may end up doing is going back to covering Common Rider and um, Spectre Man here shortly and just continue going through those. Yeah. And just one last time, uh, you can follow us everywhere. Our link tree URL right on the screen there link tree for slash daikaiju network and we're on these uh, following video platforms uh youtube twitch rumble facebook live and uh odyssey if you see a subscribe button down below uh the videos make sure to hit that subscribe button as well as hit the uh, like button and the notification bell icon so you can uh get notified of uh, any future videos that we do and we're on the audio versions of uh, uh uh, we have audio versions of our episodes on the following audio platforms, such as uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, as well as TuneIn. We've got uh, both video and audio versions of our uh, episodes on our own website at uh, diakajunetwork.com. All right. Thank you so much. Have a happy new year and don't get arrested. All right.
right, we'll see you guys next year.